Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Devendra Hardwar. And Jeff Kanata. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. What we're going to do for you today on this podcast is we're going to talk about uh, some things we've been watching recently. We're going to talk about some news, including a big discussion of the Oscars. And we're going to conclude with an in-depth review. This week we'll be reviewing Jordan Peele's uh, newest film, his directorial debut, Get Out. And we are very fortunate to have Aisha Harris from Slate.com. Uh, joining us for that review. I've been really uh, a fan of Aisha's work in recent days. Uh, she wrote up a great uh, review of Get Out as well as uh, thoughts on the Oscars. So uh, really grateful to have her on this week. But uh, before we get to any of that, I need to rectify a mistake I made, guys. I, uh, you know, I, I never make any errors on this podcast, so I understand it's very rare and shocking yeah, it's when unheard I unheard of, yeah. unheard of, you know, like com- completely baffling that it would ever happen. But every week, we ask people, uh, if you want to, to go to SlashFilm.com and click on the SlashFilmCast tab and use the PayPal links to donate to the SlashFilmCast. And we really appreciate any donations we get because it goes towards helping defray the costs of doing the show. And uh, in exchange for that, uh, we give everyone a shout-out who donates to the podcast. Well, uh, I've I've said in the past that hey, if you ever don't get a shout-out, feel free to contact me. You know, (laughs) just let me know if you didn't get a shout-out. And uh, this past week, I started getting a bunch of. Sh- I started getting an email. I got a. Uh, I got a Twitter direct message and people saying, "Hey, uh, Dave, I, I donated. I never got a shout out." And I. This is like sometimes one person I might miss, but like multiple people, uh, that has never happened before. So. Uh, I went and looked through my incredibly meticulous records, and there is a whole week of people that I just did not shout out for some reason. I don't know what happened. Uh, but I feel very bad about it, and so I wanted to just highlight those shout-outs right at the top of this week's episode and say, sorry that I did not shout you out uh, the week that you donated, but thank you so much for your donations. And specifically, I want to thank Matthew H. from Minneapolis, Minnesota, Ben T. from Prestwich in the United Kingdom, Angelica and Peony, Guy Tunbridge, Richard P. from California, Shang Chen, and Christopher H., from the UK. Thanks so much for your contributions. Also, some people who donated at the rate of $2 per month. Thanks to Peter B., Alec J., Jack Yee, Andrew D., Rebecca L., Kabir O., Gavin B., and Chesley B. Thanks so much for your contributions, and so sorry that I missed shouting you out uh, a few weeks ago. Um, but uh, yeah, we really appreciate it. And if I ever don't shout you out during the podcast, email us slash filmcast at gmail.com and give me a hard time about it because it's the least I can do and uh, really sorry whenever I miss it. So thanks to everyone The outs for must be shouted. Agreed. The outs must be shouted. Uh, so anyway, uh, let's get into the show this week. What we've been watching, Jeff Kanata, you and I had a chance to check out something on Netflix this week, did we not? We did indeed. It uh, was the what, Sundance, darling? Yeah, uh, the Grand Jury Prize at Sundance, yes. I believe. Uh, I don't feel at home in this world anymore. Uh, and also, I saw a movie. <laughs> uh. <laughs> no, it's... Uh, how, how was this grand theatrical experience, Jeff, right? A movie of this caliber, you probably saw it in a uh, wonderful uh, you know, cinema house. <laughs> no, no, no. On the Netflix. Mm. Uh, on the Netflix. And Netflix um, picked pick this one up uh, right out of Sundance, right? In fact, I'd heard, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I had heard that 
Netflix just gave a standing two hundred grand to anybody that wanted that didn't get picked up at at, at Sundance. If you got into Sundance and you wanted to be on Netflix, you get two hundred really? grand. That was fine. I, I don't know if that's what this movie got, but uh, I think that's kind of brilliant of of Netflix to just be like, you all have a home here if you mm. want it. Um, <laughs> I think that's kind of cool. I could be completely making that up. <laughs> that I, seems I, pretty apocryphal to me, but I think uh, I heard that on the on uh, NPR. But um, you know, I probably should check my facts before I spew them on it. <laughs> well, it's okay, Jeff, because you're going to get like a hundred tweets correcting you this week. So yeah, no, I will. Uh, uh, I love this movie. I don't feel at home in the in the world anymore. Uh, I adore it. It is. Um, it is. It's kind of my everything. It really. It, it's. It's uh, it's like um, it's like Quentin Tarantino grew a conscience. <laughs> huh, yeah. it, it's uh, it's um, it has that wonderful early '90s aesthetic that I really that really sparked my imagination as a young person uh, when I was watching Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction and and the numerous movies that were born of that movement, the sort of independent film movement that happened in the early 90s. Uh, this feels like a throwback to that era that is – it's not afraid to be sort of uh, – sort of go to some crazy places. Um, although I don't even want to spoil that because the movie starts out in a very wonderful sort of uh, conventional way and is is – heartwarming and touching story of, of this, this female nerd, um, who is just uh, having a hard time in the world, just, just getting by and dealing with people who are assholes. And that's what I love so much. I love how the title of this movie contextualizes the entire experience of it. And, and, and it's an adventure tale and it is stirring on, on a, sort of inspiring level of just <laughs> every part of my being that wants to be Captain America but can't. This is like a, <laughs> the story of somebody who who wants to just stand up for what's right but what's right often doesn't win. And and that's – it's just the fruitless uh, uh, attempts to, to bang your head against the wall at, at the injustices of the world. Uh, and I found it awesome. Yeah, uh, I really enjoyed this movie as well. Uh, we should say for context, this is written and directed by Megan Blair, who is uh, collaborated with Jeremy Saulnier, the director of Blue Ruin and Green Room. He's also the uh, main character. He played the protagonist in Blue Ruin, did a fantastic job. That was a breakout performance in that film. Uh, and a, lo- a lot of the sensibility, I would say, of Jeremy Saulnier is is evident in this movie, but it is definitely its own different thing. It does not feel like a Jeremy – I mean, it feels to some degree like a Jeremy Saulnier film, but it also uh, – like you said, Jeff, I think the way you referred to it as kind of this early 90s aesthetic, um, it, de- it definitely has its own style uh, that stands apart as well. Um, this is one of those movies where uh, – I, I kind of liked it more. There's a lot of movies where, like La La Land, where I saw it and I thought it was great, and then uh, I like it less and less the more I think about it. And this is one of those movies where I like it more and more when I think about it, in, in the sense that like scenes to me, interactions to me stick out as very uh, innovative, um, very unique. And, uh, and the relationship between uh, two of the characters in this film, uh, Ruth and uh, also the character Tony, played by Elijah Wood, is uh, is kind of heartwarming in its own way. It's it's kind of you don't really see a relationship like this in movies, and I'm not going to get into the details of of how that you know how it plays out. But suffice to say, I thought the performances were great, and it's just just a really 
kind of odd film uh, that nonetheless has a a heartwarming message and is just like <laughs> it's really well executed. A lot of things are really well executed, and I'm trying to be super vague about what's happening in the movie, uh, but I think it's something that is worth your time. Well, uh, what is it like? Because I heard a lot of people compare it to Coen Brothers. Films. Yeah, I, I th- it actually feels to me a lot like Blood Simple. It feels to okay, me like yeah. Macon Blair's Blood Simple. If Macon Blair has a future in movies. Uh, this is a very auspicious start, mm-hmm. and and what what I mean by that is also that like Blood Simple is a great film, but it is also not my favorite Coen Brothers film, right? And I think that it shows this guy has a lot of talent, but I feel like uh, there is so much more potential where that talent came from, and I feel, that's kind of how I feel about this movie. I don't. I hope he makes more movies, and this feels like a very good beginning, uh, mm-hmm. and it's still very enjoyable in its own right, but. Um, you know, I don't know that it's going to make my top ten of of twenty seventeen or anything like that. Does that gotcha. make sense? Yeah. Uh, how did how did you guys feel about it? Just kind of landing on Netflix with very little fanfare. Like there, there's one thing to be said about like Netflix not doing theatrical runs, but you know, for shows, they at least put out some trailers. They like try to amp up some hype. Uh, I couldn't even find it on my queue. I had to like very go search weird. for it manually. Very weird. I was seeing Scott Tobias uh, tweet about this the other day. He he, he said, hey. Uh, hey, by the way, you know, like six weeks ago, this movie won the Grand Jury Prize at Sundance, and uh, apparently, it's impossible to find on Netflix. Like, so for, yeah, I, you I have think to it's search for it. It's very specific, actually. Some people screenshotted that, like, uh, for them, it's the you know when they open the home screen, it's there, mm-hmm. uh, and then so maybe your algorithm, your Netflix algorithm, is not surfacing it. But I want to know why there isn't just a tab in the Netflix interface that's Netflix originals. Why, why can't I just browse through everything that they have they have produced? Or there they, is they some have. sort of originals category. Not on mine. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the other thing too. Like Netflix's interface is like all over the place depending on which device you're using. Right. So. Yeah. It's all kind of a pain. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Devinger, it is very it, it is very weird uh, that like a month after this was at a film festival, it's now available for millions of people, and apparently. I don't know what marketing campaign there was for this, but maybe yeah. for, maybe for millions of people, it showed up on their home screen and and it did get viewed a bunch of times. I just I'm wondering what this means, you know, for the future of movies. It's nice that so many people have access to this thing. Uh, I'm sure more people will see it than they ever could during a theatrical run or something. Yeah. Um, it, it's yeah, nice, it but it's also strange. it's also that people's ability to see it is completely meaningless. Unless there is some yeah. kind of demand driven for that. Yeah. Right? And I'm I'm a bit worried about how Netflix treats these things, especially after like Beasts of No Nation, right? Um, didn't – it had like a short theatrical run, uh, maybe like a little thing. They didn't do well there. Um, and something I know – like that movie got no Oscar love. And Amazon in comparison uh, – we'll talk about the Oscar soon. They're playing the Oscars a much smarter, uh, especially for things like Manchester um, by the Sea. And they're releasing their things more like traditional films. So I wonder if there's some sort of a difference there. Yeah, I'm not sure how much of like theatrical buzz drives uh, Oscar voting, but uh, yeah, I, I do agree. It is curious to me the lack of promotion around this movie. I read about the industry. I listen to podcasts about film. Uh, and I barely knew that this movie was out on Netflix. Do you know, uh, Jeff? How did you hear about this? I uh, I had heard about it from from uh, Sundance. I'd heard a lot of buzz about it uh, from Sundance, and really wanted to see it. 
Uh, but I had no idea it was on Netflix until you told me, Dave. So you were like, it's on Netflix. I was like, oh. Uh, and then, and then again, I you know booted up my Netflix and searched around and can't find it, and had to actually search for uh, uh, I don't. <laughs> well, and it was, seriously, don't it hadn't even I don't it hadn't even come up yet. So it, yeah, I know I, I had the exact same experience. I was like I don't, and then of course I'm going to see the movie. Nope, you still got to go like feel at home <laughs> yeah. in this world anymore okay finally it's there you know yeah. uh not quite like that but something like that so uh anyway it's a movie that jeff and i both think is worth checking out uh but- I, I liked it a lot more than you did i i loved it i thought it was so it's the kind of movie that i wish i could make it, it, it just it just has something to say but it says it in such a quirky original way it speaks directly to there's like there's a truth there that is revealed in in a in a really uh, unconventional manner, I, I just I admire it tremendously. Well, that's I don't feel at home at this in this world anymore, and it's available on Netflix. Uh, and yeah, check it out if you have a chance. All right, I'll talk briefly about something I've been watching. Uh, I had a chance to see The Tickle King, which is a twenty minute supplementary documentary for Tickled, which is now <laughs> available on HBO. Uh, and so. For those who are curious, who have an HBO subscription, you can go watch Tickled. Uh, it's a movie that was on my top 10 of 2016. It's a documentary I highly recommend by David Farrier and Dylan Reeves. Uh, the Tickle King is a uh, kind of made up a footage shot after the movie was released at Sundance. That kind of chronicles a lot of uh, the crazy stuff that happened after uh, the movie came out. And uh, essentially people in the movie – started showing up at screenings of the movie and <laughs> creating disruptions and creating a lot of stir. And it's totally fascinating in my opinion. It's not quite as good as Tickled the Movie was, but if you are really into the story of Tickled the Movie as I was, then I think you will enjoy The Tickled King. Uh, and so I'd recommend checking it out. I'd recommend checking out both Tickled and The uh, Tickle King, which uh, should both be on HBO. So uh, that's what I've been watching this week. And Divinia Hardware, what have you been watching? Oh, I finally got to see I'm Not Your Negro, which is a documentary by Raoul Peck uh, about an unfinished manuscript by James Baldwin. Um, And he's basically uh, reflecting on the lives of his friends, uh, including uh, Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, and Medgar Evers, and reflecting on their place in America, kind of what they meant for the black experience. And uh, this thing is more of a visual essay than it is a documentary. Uh, it's, it's just fascinating how it's put together. There's so much footage here. There's footage of uh, James Baldwin talking on the Dick Cavett show, uh, footage of him uh, just at some of his talks as well. It's also narrated uh, by Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, he adds like a nice element to this whole thing. Just a fascinating and uh, – it's it's so enriching. Like this is a movie I feel like I'm gonna have to see several times just to really dive into everything he's saying. Um, I haven't really read much James Baldwin in my life, but it definitely is uh, pushing me towards checking him out because he's such a fascinating character, uh, just so intelligent. And there's one chat in particular where he's like go- facing off against a philosophy professor who just doesn't understand like why. Uh, black people want to talk about 
why does they want to talk about what is wrong for them or why they want to separate their experience. And I think it's, it's just incredibly powerful. So it goes right alongside get out, which we're talking about. And uh, yeah, just a fascinating film to see today. Cool. That's the movie. I am not your Negro. It was nominated for best documentary. I've heard great things about that movie. Uh, and it is in limited release right now. Devinder, right? Is it is. It, it is. Yeah. yeah. It's great. And also great to go to theater and uh, yeah, have to, you know, watch everybody say, I'm not your Negro. Uh, like that, that's, that's the movie I'm going to see. Uh, that was a lot of fun. I just have to say. Hmm. So uh, that's what we've been watching this week. Uh, we're in the chat room right now, live broadcasting. A bunch of people in the chat room, Jeff, are saying, uh, mm-hmm. uh, George says, there is a Netflix Originals tab. But then Mitch Sanif says, uh, agreed, Jeff, the Originals tab is not always there. Yeah. Um, so it, what, here's what's very clear to me from talking about this. Everyone's Netflix experience is different, right? Yeah, uh, yeah maybe the algorithm that? is not the best solution, Netflix. Yeah. No, well, no. They've, they've obviously done the math and they figured out that, hey, having everyone have a custom experience is the best way to keep engagement up. So, uh, I just think that if, if they're clearly turning themselves into HBO or you know, really into a channel where I, I – at this point, I am paying for Netflix not because I want to get whatever movie they just got rights to. I'm paying because of the – content that they are creating, I should be able to tune into it like a channel and search for the things that are only available there that they have paid for. You know, I want to see what the new Netflix original TV shows are and I want to be able to browse through them because maybe I haven't heard about them. I, I do also recall myself seeing a Netflix Originals tab, but uh, I also usually see like recently added or mm-hmm, yeah. now trending. Like those are more higher up on the list for me than like the Netflix originals one. So I agree with you that it might not be the easiest to find, but I, I also agree with people in the chat room that I think it is there. Uh, it just, you, you need to look, a little, you need to dig a little bit. Apparently I feel like having you dig a little bit. So, uh, all right. Well, uh, that's what we've been watching this week. Why don't we move on before we get to Oscars, which is a big conversation. Uh, there are a couple of items I wanted to touch on. Uh, I had a very bizarre experience Saturday night. Xander Berkeley, the actor who played mm-hmm. George Mason on 24, tweeted that uh, Bill Paxton had passed away. And I started freaking out because I had not – TMZ didn't have it. Nowhere else had it. Uh, I started freaking out. And then uh, there was also this separate now revealed to be fake article saying that the Bill Paxton news was a hoax. Then shortly after Xander Berkeley tweeted out the you know morning for Bill Paxton, his tw- his original tweet disappeared. So then I thought, okay, well maybe Xander Berkeley just got taken in by a hoax. But then the next day it was revealed that Bill Paxton had in fact passed away at the age of sixty one, uh, and so it was it was an emotional roller coaster. Uh, I will say that. Uh, Bill Paxton is one of those. I, I think I don't remember who said this online. I apologize, but he said uh, he Bill Paxton was great in everything, and he was in everything great. And I I completely agree. Like he was in all these amazing films, and he was always an incredibly likable uh, character, uh, even when his character was evil. You know, I always yeah. thought he was like this kind of folksy every person no matter what he was playing but sometimes he he did need to stretch a lot for his roles he plays very good sleazebags you know yeah um but also he was recently in he was a uh, master sergeant Farrell, right in mm-hmm. uh, edge of tomorrow recently and he was fantastic in that he was uh nightcrawler 
Nightcrawler, right? He was like one of Jake Gyllenhaal's competitors in Nightcrawler. Jeff Kanata, I think for you, there is one movie that rises above the rest, right? It's not an easy decision because he is in so many wonderful films. But for me, it's Tombstone. Um, that is a movie that had a big impact on me when I saw it. And I watch it uh, often, <laughs> as often as I watch anything, really. It's, uh, it's a great movie to revisit. It, it holds up under repeat viewings. It's stirring. And I'm using that word a lot today. Uh, it's, um, it's a fantastic movie. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. great movie. I also want to highlight Frailty, the 2001 directorial debut he made, uh, which is an incredibly creepy horror thriller, but also a movie that foretold the McConaissance. Like, it was <laughs> a great Matthew McConaughey performance, and a movie that, honestly, I do not think gets enough love yeah. uh, for how good it is. Uh, so that's Frailty. Uh, and, and another favorite of mine is his role in uh, True Lies, the sleazy car salesman. Uh, a very memorable role in a movie that is... Uh, a, a lot about you know uh, pyrotechnics and action. Uh, I still remember uh, Bill Paxton's character pissing himself at the top of that dam. I mean, it's an amazing performance. And anyway, he's great in everything. And <laughs> such a huge bummer that he's no longer with us. Uh, Divinger Hardware, did you have any favorite Bill Paxton performances? Uh, I have to think. Uh, I mean, Aliens is what I remember. Also, Near Dark. He was a you know Texas Texan vampire. And he, I just remember him being terrifying. And that's a movie I love and not nearly enough people have seen either. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, Bill Paxton, amazingly talented guy. One of my favorite actors. So young, yep. too. It's just so, so like, it is the year 2017, and we can still lose people to complications from surgery, which is, it's, it's just crazy to think about sometimes. Yeah, I mean, if you see f- photos of him, he looks very, very young. You know, he yeah. does not look like yeah. he's on death's door at all in recent photos and he's um he's on this television show uh training day the tv series uh-huh. of training day so it's just crazy that uh you know not not an actor who i thought like we were in danger of losing anytime soon but uh anyway bill paxton we're gonna miss you uh you made incredible contributions to the world of cinema another thing i want to mention that came out this week is uh news of martin scorsese's newest film called the irishman and uh this is a funny little story because basically uh apparently netflix is willing to uh pay a hundred million dollars or i I think i guess they're financing it for a hundred million dollars uh this is about jimmy hoffa's hitman and uh it stars robert de niro it's directed by martin scorsese uh, and it, it's going to go straight to Netflix. And that is crazy. Uh, what's also funny is that the next day, uh, Martin Scorsese criticized the concept of watching movies at home. <laughs> uh, he said, Does I don't he think he's know there. what Netflix is? He yeah. said uh, at BFI South Bank, he said, quote, The problem now is that it is everything around the frame that is distracting. Now you can see a uh-huh. film on an iPad. You might be able to push it closer to your face in your bedroom and just lock the door and look at it if you can. But I do find just glimpsing stuff here or there, even watching a film at home on a big screen TV, there is still stuff around the room. There's a phone that rings. People goes by. It is not the best way, end quote. Mm-hmm. The, on so, the other hand, he followed up by saying, a uh, hundred million dollars is nice, <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, I think uh, you know he doesn't necessarily decide how his movies get distributed, right? He just makes the movies. He just you know makes the donuts. I feel like um, I mean he would probably have some say. Yeah. And wasn't isn't He's it so Paramount? <laughs> it's pa- Paramount that he normally worked with, right? Yeah, yeah. And apparently, yeah. Paramount. By the way, I don't know if you guys know this. Uh, Paramount is not having a good time. Uh, their uh, yeah. chairman, Brad Gray, recently departed. 
they haven't had many hits. A lot of their movies have uh, have tanked in the what last year. What about Silence, Dave? That was a great Martin Scorsese movie. It was, uh, but it actually was a box office bomb. Unfortunately, oh. it did not do well at all at the box office. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, go back to that gangster well, baby. Their <laughs> movies aren't bad, right? It's yeah. just that they're not they're not doing super well. I mean. Uh, Star Trek Beyond was not the success that they wanted it to be. Uh, you got Allied, which is kind of a disaster. Uh, e- even though I enjoyed the movie, you know, it didn't make a lot of money. Ben Hur, uh, no, oh, Jack Reacher, Never Go Back. You know, so they're depending on movies like Ghost in the Shell, Transformers Five. You know, that's what they're they're hoping for now mm-hmm. um, to to buoy them. Uh, and it's just been, it's been a tough time for Paramount, and so it doesn't surprise me. Also, Monster Trucks, by the way, a co-production <laughs> with Paramount Animation, Nickelodeon Movies, and Disruption Entertainment. Um, but on paper, Monster <laughs> Trucks, guys. Was a significant loss for the company. That's right. See, Dave. they're monsters and <laughs> and, and, well, and, and trucks. Yeah. Rings, Rings, another big oh, uh, Paramount okay. In fact – uh, our colleague Dan Trachtenberg's Ten Cloverfield Lane was one of Paramount's biggest hits last year, uh, and you know that movie didn't do bad. It made dozens of millions of dollars, but uh, you know that was a kind of like a small budget movie. It was not. Uh, I would not have predicted that it would be one of their biggest hits. So anyway, I, I think they just felt like they couldn't take a gamble on a you know this Martin Scorsese movie with Robert De Niro. This new guy, Martin Scorsese. <laughs> yeah, and so it went to Netflix. Um, so I, I feel like it's a big, this is actually like a big sea change in, oh, yeah. in, uh, the world of movies. Like I'm going to enjoy having a tough time finding that movie on Netflix <laughs> when it debuts unceremoniously. Yeah, we're going to have to, it's just going to drop with no fanfare. <laughs> the only place you're going to hear about it is a slash film cast and you're going to have to hunt through a bunch of menus to get to it. So. I'm laughing, but I'm also crying at the same time because <laughs> this is, it's not great for movies, guys. I love, like, I, I love the wider accessibility of films and everything. And uh, I live in New York, so I can't complain too much because I tend to get every release. Uh, but I, it's not that it's not great for movies, Devendra. It's that what movies are is changing. So yeah, the the movies are getting smaller, right? I was with it once, Devendra, but then what it was changed, <laughs> and then what I was with wasn't it anymore. You know? Yes, I remember this. <laughs> All right. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's move on to the biggest story of the week, which is the Oscars, guys. I was watching it live. Devendra, were you watching it live yeah, as yeah, well? Yeah, yeah, All right. Yeah. And Jeff Kanata, uh, based on your tweets, it sounds like you turned it off after they announced La La Land as the winner. Is that right? <laughs> A little bit before that. Did you yeah. turn off the Super Bowl too, Jeff? <laughs> no, no, no. No, I'm not that stupid. I, uh, I did not watch the, the HBO shows early this week like everybody else. Uh, I, I switched over to watch, watch the Big Little Lies and yeah. – uh, crashing yeah and figuring uh that you know nothing uh, L- no, nothing crazy would up. happen yeah yeah, yeah. ignoring uh, the fact <laughs> that of course something crazy would happen because that's the universe that we're in right now in the world series nba finals super bowl <laughs> presidential election there's there's nothing that doesn't have a crazy weird ending so what the hell was I thinking? Yeah, that was completely stupid of you, Jeff, and you should feel bad for yourself. But it was a crazy <laughs> night, and uh, I, I will say this, that uh, I started to kind of sense blood in the water when uh, 
La La Land got beat out a couple times earlier in the night, right? So yeah, it won. Yeah. Uh, it did not win for best editing, which is a, a typically decent predictor of uh, who will win best picture. Uh, roughly, yeah, but roughly half the people, uh, yeah, roughly half the movies that won best directing. I'm sorry, best editing in the last uh, 50, 60 years also won best picture. So it's like, but a that didn't predictor. deter me because I knew. That there's no damn way that Hacksaw Ridge was winning Best Picture. It, it, Do you though? Because it, it won a few awards. It won a couple awards, but yeah, you're, you know, Jeff, I think you're right. I didn't think that Hacksaw Ridge would win, but it was definitely weird that La La Land did not win Best Editing. Like that was right. when at that moment I thought to myself, "Huh, this is very That's what odd." I, I yeah. tweeted out at that time, like, I wonder how many people's uh, Oscar pools just got blown up by Hacksaw Ridge because I I'd be willing th- to bet that the percentage of people that put Hacksaw Ridge down for best editing would, would be very small. People's Oscar pools got blown up like a Japanese body in Hacksaw Ridge. Oh. Like, that's how bad it was. Um, okay. <laughs> no, that's, I mean, that movie kills okay. a lot of Japanese people. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> so you saw that movie, Dave. How, how, how was the editing? Uh, it was good. Best. Yeah, it was best. It's pretty good. It was it was among the best. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so there, yeah, there was a couple categories where uh, you know, and, and there was one moment when actually uh, Hacksaw Ridge had more Oscars than La La Land, right? Like it had won, yeah. I think, uh, best sound editing or best sound uh, mixing, and it had also won for. Um, I'm uh, pretty sure there was a moment when uh, Suicide Squad had more Academy Awards than La La Land. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. It had one for Best Sound Mixing, I should say. So at one point, Hacksaw Ridge had two Oscars and La La Land only had one. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what's happening? Yeah. Um, so then, so let's talk about the big moment, right, before we get to the rest of the, the ceremony, right? The big moment is at the very end. Here, here's, here's what happened, as I understand it. The Oscars and PricewaterhouseCoopers, the, the people, like every year they bring on the accountants on stage to say, hey, we certified the results of this Oscars. <laughs> and every year everyone wonders why do they have to bother telling us about this because, of yeah. course, it's a simple job to hand people the right envelope. What, what apparently happened was there were, there were two envelopes for every winner. Right. Of course, nothing could go wrong when you have two envelopes for every winner, (laughs) one at either side of the stage. And in case, like you know, depending on how people get on the stage, redundancies in place. They have redundancies (laughs) in place, right? Exactly. And what ended up happening was Warren Beatty was handed the wrong envelope for uh, Best Picture. I remember him looking a little confused. Yeah, exactly. The best thing when you watch it again. He yeah. looks at it and there's this weird pause. Yeah. And he looks at it and looks and he knows exactly what's happening. He knows that he has the wrong thing in his hand. He because he read the entire card. Right. Which says, uh, Emma it, Stone. It says Emma Stone, best actress. And he's trying to cover and not blow it for the audience. And he doesn't want to say, Hey, I got the wrong card. So he shows Faye Dunaway. To sort of like have her help him, she just all she reads is the name of the movie. Well, okay. She, to, to be fair, to be fair, Jeff, like at that point, precious seconds had passed. Well, she and thinks yeah. Faye Dunaway thinks he's hamming it up. She right? thinks he's being right, right. cute by like delaying the yes. name because everybody wants to hear the name. She thinks he's being cute, but he's legitimately going, "Help me out of this horrible situation. <laughs> Something is wrong, right?" <laughs> and and yeah. And she just blurts out the thing, thinking we're playing a little game that we're improvising together here right. on so she, stage. So she sees on the card Emma Stone, La La Land, right? She probably just read La La Land, and everybody yeah. expected La La Land to win, so that confirms her bias. And so she she just goes, oh, he's playing his little game. I'm going to say it out loud for him. 
And then, then now the magic <laughs> happens where you see you see Warren Beatty, who knows exactly what's going on, but now has no idea how to stop it because he stands there like a deer in headlights going, I know the wrong movie just got announced. I didn't say it. You guys remember the end of Bonnie and Clyde? Um, <laughs> yes. It's just that. This is an amazing Bonnie and Clyde death. sequel. Right. It's uh, so funny to watch him because he does not know what to do because it's you know the <laughs> balloons are coming down the the parade has started people are crying and and ha- you know starting their speeches and he knows he <laughs> knows that this is wrong and then of course the producers in Price Waterhouse and everybody backstage who is confirming stuff then there's the scurry and scuttle of the all the people yes. behind the scenes if only we had a camera backstage like what uh, was happening there because yeah. that that must have been amazing so so firstly it pains me to do this guys but I am I'm going to put audio of what happened uh, with the final speeches in the podcast right now. And the Academy Award. (laughs) For best picture. You're awful. Come on. La La Land. Thank you. Thank you all. Um, thank you to the Academy. Thank you to <laughs> Lionsgate. Thank you to our incredible cast and crew. We're all up here right now. Uh, here's to the fools who made me dream. My uncle, Gary Platt. My mentor, Sam Cohn. My parents, my children, my wife, Julie, on whose shoulders I've stood for 40 years because she insisted I reach for the stars. And to the Hollywood community that I'm so proud to be a part of. And to the Hollywood and the hearts and minds of people everywhere. Repression is the enemy of civilization. So keep dreaming because the dreams we dream today will provide the love, the compassion, and the humanity that will narrate the stories of our lives tomorrow. And Damien Chazelle, we're standing on your shoulders. We lost, by the way, but, you know. I'm sorry. No. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. Moonlight won. This is not a joke. This is not a joke. I'm afraid they read the wrong thing. This is not a joke. Moonlight has won Best Picture. Moonlight. Best Picture. It is incredibly awkward. It is like a an episode of The Office, uh, British version, played out in front of tens of millions of people. Or an episode of, of BoJack Horseman. Yeah, it, it is so painful because especially the people in the back, right in in the in the La La Land, in like in the back of the crowd of La La Land, uh, yeah. they started to get the news before the people in the front, right? Yeah, and then um, it, it's just crazy. How it went down. So, so then they know what's going on, right? Like they, they, they understand that like they didn't win. And then one of the producers knew he didn't win and then went up on stage and gave a speech anyway, right? Yeah, that is the weirdest moment when someone pushes him to the front and he goes, no. And then he then continues to, to keep talking and then hearing people behind him. And at the end he goes, ah, but we didn't win. Yeah, but, <laughs> but we didn't, it doesn't matter. We didn't win anyway. It's the most bizarre moment. And a lot of people have criticized that as being classless. But here's the thing. Uh, I, I, I guess I don't really judge anyone in this situation yeah, because can't. it is so bizarre. Can't. It's unprecedented that something like this has happened. Well, you I, don't... just the guy who gave him the wrong envelope. Yeah, that's the, the, that's the only person I judge. Because you know that guy, was, 
That guy was tweeting backstage with like uh, like celebrity sites. Yeah, yeah. Like, there, there, there like were three of- minutes before Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway went on stage, he was tweeting like a selfie or whatever that he took. Oh, with gee, Emma, it's Emma Stone with Emma Stone. He's like Emma backstage with Emma Stone. He was not. He took his eye off the ball, Jeff. He took Probably. his eye off the ball. Uh, but but and, you know, one assumes that that could have been an honest mistake. Yeah. I don't fault Warren Beatty. He literally. Well, Other Warren than, Beatty tried to stop it. Yeah. He tried well, to make it he, better. Did he? I, I, I mean, he, he could have like, said what, when yeah. Faye Dunaway said no, or when, when Faye Dunaway said La La Land, he could have said no. But I think there's also a part of you who's like, oh, wait, does she know something I don't know? Right, well, also, right, maybe right. he didn't even – maybe they didn't even know what the real answer was. Do you know what I mean? Like they they absolutely didn't know what the real answer. All he could have said exactly. So and and there was there was like a seventy five, eighty percent chance that Lolland was going to win anyway. But if you're the guy, like if you're the guy, if Faye Dunaway somehow knows that that card really does mean Lolland, and you're the guy that goes, wait, 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 hang on a second, Mm -hmm. wrongly. Right. That's just as bad. Yeah, that so is just as bad. And he can't, you know, he doesn't have any. He, he kind could have of been like, "Hey guys, can I, can I, can we just take a second here? I don't know. Like, read but, this card properly." Yeah. But, but you know, at that point, it's like yeah. three hours and forty-five minutes into the ceremony. Everyone wants to go home. You yeah. know, like everyone's depending on. He was I, I, trying to do that. He was showing her the card yeah, to right, be like, yeah, "We're yeah. doing this together the right way." And yeah. when she blurts out the name, <laughs> then he can't do anything because. <laughs> Now it's already happened, and he can't go, wait, 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 yeah. because, unless it's 100% sure, and he's not. He doesn't know what's going on. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. It, it, it is crazy. So I, I think one, one thing I was worried about, and I, I actually blamed Warren Beatty when I first saw this happening on Twitter. Um, I was live-tweeting the event, uh, but I'm worried Warren Beatty's going to get pinned with some blame on this, but I, I think he was doing his best in a very terrible yeah. situation. I, um, I could totally imagine myself making the exact same dis- <laughs> mistakes, you know, because the you you are literally in front of a billion people trying to make sure, trying to make this come off smoothly, mm-hmm. and so when he sees an error, his head is going, "What am I looking at? What should I do?" He makes he takes this big pause and then he shows it to her as like, "Help me out here," yeah, not yeah. realizing that she's going to blurt it out, right? Right, yeah. right, so right. He didn't do anything. <laughs> That I think anybody could have legitimately done in that situation. Yeah, um, he he was just kind of frozen a bit. I, I wonder if they need to add like a silent alarm or something at the podium <laughs> in the future. Just emergency. Like, well, uh, we, also something needs to happen. Talking about ways this could have been prevented. If you look uh, at the cards, like uh, okay, so firstly, yeah. Jordan Horowitz, one of the producers of La La Land, grabbed the card. Uh, he said, actually, you know, Moonlight really won. And then he, he grabs a card out of Baby's hand and shows it to the camera. He takes the situation into his own hands. A lot of praise for Jordan Horowitz on Twitter and, and across, you know, media today. And I, so. I echo it. I echo it yeah. because uh, that must have been an incredibly crushing moment for him, right? Uh, he had just thought he had won – his movie had won Best Picture, discovered on stage through some very weird circumstances that it didn't. And then rather than let this – rather than let – you know, some weird, sketchy stuff play out in his name. He was not having any of it. Just grabbed, took control of the situation and grabbed it and said, you know, hey, uh, Moonlight, I'd love to, like, present, the, you know, the Oscar to our friends at Moonlight who, who actually really made the, the, the best picture. And, uh, like, I, at yeah. first I thought this the was best- some weird, I thought this was some weird patronizing well, uh, like Ving Rhames giving the Golden Globe to Jack Lemmon kind of thing that... Or they were going to do like a tie or something. Right, or some, some, some crazy-ass stuff like that. And, and I thought it was going to be very awkward and painful. Uh, but in fact... It was definitely know, awkward and painful. It, it was, well, is it, isn't, it, isn't it the most telling thing for the last two years of life on planet Earth 
that in front of a billion people, a person has to say, this is not a joke. <laughs> this is not a joke. Right, right. Uh, but uh, the point I was going to make was uh, if you're thinking of ways this disaster could have been averted, mm-hmm. if you look at the design of those cards, right, because he held up a card to the, the camera, it, it could have definitely, you know, been done better. Like the, 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 the right. design and hierarchy could have been done a lot better because basically you see it's like moonlight and then you see – producers and then it lists the producers names and then way in tiny tiny font at the bottom it's like best picture right like uh-huh. almost illegible <laughs> well it's I also felt, printed on the envelope yeah it uh, was printed which, it, it was uh, like a best actress right in a, right but in there's a no way you can expect a presenter who is thinking about making it out to the their mark in the right, right way and maintaining eye contact and d- delivering their little patter and you're not they're not going to double check the Although maybe now forever that people will, but uh, you also can't blame the fact that there are two versions of the envelope because right. there's no universe in which you only have one of those, lest it be lost or damaged or misplaced or whatever. Right, uh, and then no one knows who won. <laughs> uh, so it's it's just a series of unfortunate events. Right, uh, but you can imagine like if the if the card had said in like big bold type at the top, best actress. You know Emma Stone, uh, Faye Dunaway might not have made sure, that mistake. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Like instead of right. just saying Emma Stone, La La Land, I don't know. I don't know. Basically, You're- every every check <laughs> we had in place to stop something like this failed. Just like uh, just like everything that's ever happened in the last two years in life on this yeah. planet. Yeah, I can't yeah. fast forward a couple of years. You guys, this is really nuclear war. They're really warheads <laughs> headed to major cities in America. I don't know, something like that. Um, Here's the thing, guys. I recently saw uh, an ending, right? That was just like this imagined happy ending where everything's magical and wonderful that's brutally undercut by harsh reality. Uh, but enough about La La Land, the movie, guys. Let's let's finish our conversation about <laughs> what happened with La La Land at the Oscars. I mean, I mean what else go, is there to say, to right? <laughs> my, uh, my concern with this whole thing is that, yeah, we're talking about this. I, I do want to talk a lot about Moonlight and the fact that it won. Yes, and that's, that's right. And how, how amazing... Is that because I also had pretty much given up all hope for this movie winning? Uh, La La Land was the happier movie. It was the vibrant movie. It was more, you know. I, I think people tend to um, praise, uh, you know, directorial flourishes like what we see in uh, in La La Land compared to much more subtle films like Moonlight. So there were a lot of things going for La La Land personally. In my opinion, this like for me in my in David Chen's neurotic brain. Uh-huh. The outcome of this Oscars was like a best case scenario. Like Damien Chazelle got to have his moment. Right. He's the youngest man to ever win best director. He's 32 years old. He's just made a movie that made over $300 million worldwide. He's going to get to write his ticket to whatever the hell he wants to do next. Like everything's going great for Damien Chazelle. But then also, in my opinion, the better film won best picture. And that mm-hmm. is awesome. This is a yeah. movie that was made for one and a half million dollars. It's about a gay black man in Miami trying to adapt to the world. Uh, it's about a perspective that most people statistically don't have the ability to experience and, uh, and, won, and won Best Picture. And there is something really magical about that. Um, and Aisha Harris actually wrote a piece about this at Slate.com uh, called Forget About the Embarrassing Mix-Up. The real story is Moonlight's historic win. And she basically says like this, this uh, win for Best Picture – 
puts them on the right side of history. I'm going to quote from the article, quote, We've seen Hollywood pat itself on the back before without making permanent change long before the infamous hashtag forced the Academy to rethink its membership rules for Oscar voters last year. But by awarding Moonlight at a time when both blackness and queerness are being directly challenged at the highest levels of power, the Oscars landed on the right side of history, both cinematic and otherwise. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that it's a good point to, to say cinematic as well, because this isn't this isn't merely a political statement. This wasn't a token win for a film that is a placeholder for a political statement. This right. is, is truly a an exquisite movie that is deserving of the accolades that it's receiving. So, you know, I, I it's a wonderful um it's a wonderful confluence of events that allows that to, to be uh, both a deserved win and a uh, and, and a wonderful cultural m- moment. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. And I, this is the first year that the new um, Oscar voting <laughs> setup is taking place, right? The more diverse uh, voting block. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and I wonder how much of that is, you know, how much of this vote is due to that. Because uh, we also saw some other interesting wins too, like along the way. Yeah, let's uh, let's talk about that, but. Yeah, I wanted to just acknowledge that uh, it was a crazy moment. In some ways, unfortunately, it overshadowed you know the Moonlight win. Uh, also, in the Slack Filmcast, the uh, Slash Filmcast Slack group, <laughs> someone someone uh, brought up this interesting mental exercise. I think it was Rhett brought this up of like if La La Land had won Best Picture, would they have even acknowledged this entire mess? Like, <laughs> would they have even? told people oh hey they were handed the wrong envelope blah 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 you know what i mean like what i want what do you mean i don't understand well if la la land had in fact won best picture but they still handed the wrong envelope you know to warren Beatty. And oh, oh i see la la no there's yeah. no why would they there's no reason yeah, no, no, keep the show going it might have been yeah. a historical footnote right rather than yeah. like a crazy uh historic onstage mix-up uh, yeah, no, as long as the right movie gets gets said out loud, they don't right. care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, well, crazy moment and, uh, like, something, like, we've never witnessed in our lives before or n- nothing of that magnitude. There have been sometimes, like, the wrong person thinks that their name got read or whatever, but nothing this major has ever happened, and I doubt it will ever happen again. So. I mean, I think uh, – I hope it doesn't happen again. But <laughs> isn't it weird that the Miss America pageant, this just happened, and, you know, it's almost like – makes it less jarring to me because the Miss America pageant had the exact same thing happen. It's, uh, it's almost like we're phasing between two different, uh, you know, frames of reality. Yeah. Again, guys, the Large Hadron Collider has been <laughs> active for several years. Well, I think, yeah. I think the common uh, issue with both of these situations is if, they, if both of these uh, winning envelopes and cards or whatever had better design, uh, <laughs> they might not have happened, right? Anyway. Yeah. Uh, can we can we talk about Oscar winning Suicide Squad just for a moment? Just, <laughs> must just for me we to say must we that sentence? Oscar <laughs> you, you just wanted to say that sentence, yeah. yeah. So let's talk about the ceremony as a whole. Uh, I thought it was fine, you know. Uh, in ter- Jimmy Kimmel, he did some good work taking people down a peg. He was his, good. Yeah. His bit on we bought the zoo, we bought a zoo, was actually I thought pretty genius. Like a very yes. long way of trolling Matt Damon. Is a, um, yeah, long way. Also a joke for like five people, but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> inclu- three of which are on this podcast, but yeah. I, I really enjoyed that joke. Uh, o- overall, I thought the awards went to very deserving winners. I think um, Viola Davis won for Best Supporting Actress in Fences. She was magnificent, although she did kind of hack that category because 
she's in pretty much the whole movie. Everyone else in that category is in the movie for like five minutes. Yeah, I don't know um, how they decide what's supporting. And well, what's that leading. didn't uh, that didn't help Jeff Bridges. Yeah. He's the only person in his category that was in the entire movie. Uh, mm, true enough. Uh, Maharshala Ali won for uh, Best Supporting Actor for Moonlight. Very, very great performance in that movie. Uh, Emma Stone for Best Actress in a Leading Role. So uh, there were only really two awards the, in, in the night that bothered me. One of them was Emma Stone winning for Best Actress. The other one was City of Stars winning for La La Land. Um, Emma Stone winning for Best Actress. I mean, like you said, Jeff, I think you summed it up really well last week. She's a delightful person. Uh, She's delightful in the movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, She is not the best actor. Like, that was not the best performance this year in a movie. The fact that Annette Bening wasn't even nominated is. Yeah, or or Amy Adams in Arrival. Like, I mean, Annette Bening's performance. Meryl Streep is there for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. Annette Bening's performance in 20th Century Women is Mm -hmm. a tour de force it's yeah. beautiful it's great it's great and i actually thought isabelle Hubert uh, oh yeah did something very uh, extraordinary for l it's it's a performance unlike any i've ever seen mm-hmm. you know it's really challenging and uh at very least she deserved to win but hey she got nominated for being in a foreign film so and that's kind of rare so whatever we'll take the win there city of stars is the worst song in the la land soundtrack i i've listened to that soundtrack <laughs> Maybe a hundred times. So I'm actually a big Sweet. fan of that soundtrack. Uh-huh. Uh, and I, that, is, that is my least favorite song on that whole soundtrack. I'm it's baffled that it theme, won. Though. Like it's the theme of the movie in a way. So I, I could see why. You can't Guys, really get out of your head. Yeah. It's, it's Travis Shamockery. That entire category is a Travis Shamockery. <laughs> nothing from Seeing Street was nominated. So yeah. it's, all, it's, it's <laughs> dogs and cats living together. I also uh, like what Devendra said when uh, John Legend performed uh, City of Stars or you know, the, the La La Land medley. Firstly, my reaction was, wow, it's amazing what the La La Land soundtrack can sound like when you get an actual singer to perform <laughs> these songs. Sure, uh, and then also you said Devendra like is particularly heartbreaking because John Legend should have been the main character in La La Land. I think that would have been a lot more interesting, and yeah. also let's just say it would have avoided so much of this like uh, commentary about the movie and white how savior, like, like white jazz yeah. savior kind of thing. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I uh, think not that the movie needed to do that just for that reason, but I think it makes more sense for that character and what that character is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, overall, I, you know, I thought the show was surprisingly. On unpolitical, there, you know, uh, the White Helmets won for best short documentary. It's on Netflix. I recommended it a couple weeks ago. I definitely suggest you check it out. It's an amazing film. The Salesman won for Oscar, Oscar uh, mm-hmm. for Hardy's new movie, um, and uh, both of those movies had people th- that participated in them that could not come to the United States because this is the country that we now live in. Yeah. Uh, but you know, you know the the uh, speeches were very pointed, you know, in in terms of those movies. But overall, I thought there was a much less speech, like political speechifying, than I thought. In fact, the ads around the Oscars I thought were far more political than the actual ceremony itself. Uh-huh. Uh, a, a lot of companies like Google going out of their way to uh, show diversity in in their ads. Um, but uh, were there any speeches that you guys like? I, I didn't actually really think there were that many memorable speeches, to be honest. Well, Vi- Viola Davis's speech was very good and just like yeah. so to the heart like i yeah i just the raw emotion she puts in yeah. defenses and so many of her performances is there it almost seems like she didn't even write anything too she was just speaking like what was inside her heart at that moment so i thought that was very nice very raw and not so much a speech but uh go back and watch when uh, brie larson announces uh, casey affleck and just the look on her face 
like the look of like disappointment and disgust. Um, I, so, I thought so was for, for some backstory, Casey Affleck, who won for best actor in a leading role for Manchester by the Sea, uh, there have been allegations of sexual harassment against him from his previous film uh, "I'm Still Here." Uh, where he apparently sexually assaulted uh, some of the crew and and, uh, was very lewd to some of them. That case was settled out of court, uh, but the allegations remain. And Brie Larson is a person who won an Oscar for starring in a movie that's partially about sexual assault Mm -hmm. and uh, has campaigned for uh, sexual assault survivors in the past. So to have her uh, read off Casey Affleck's win, it is customary uh, in terms of Oscar uh, procedure, but it was uh, unfortunate that she had to do that. She didn't clap. I think a lot of people noticed that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Anything else? Yeah. You know, lo- I mean, I'm sure this- you're glad OJ won, Dave. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I Proving mean, your point. Uh, totally. I mean, it's totally a movie, right, guys? Right, Jeff? It's, it's 400 still, it's, hours of movie. It's yep. totally so, a movie. So much movie. And did you guys feel like Zootopia over Moana? I'm kind of, I really like Zootopia. I think Moana is a better film, but I can I understand agree. why Zootopia won. I can't. I really can't begrudge Zootopia for winning. Mm-hmm. You know, it it wears its heart on its sleeve. It tries to advocate for acceptance and diversity. You know, I'm I'm fine with it. I I would have preferred Moana winning. And certainly after uh, Ali'i Cravalho performed, you know, mm-hmm. uh, how far I'll go. I think mm-hmm. was the uh, was the name of the song. Uh, she was she's freaking 16 years old. Uh, yeah, and showed amazing poise. Yeah. In, she was hit in the head. She got hit like, in the head. The thing, and kept going. Like, didn't phase her. I get amazing. hit in the head you know, during the podcast and I can't continue. <laughs> you know, She's performing in front of uh, dozens of millions of people. She just keeps going. Uh, I, yeah. I thought it was, it was magnificent. Did you, what did you, you guys... dozens of millions again? That's <laughs> your new phrase is dozens of millions? Dozens well, of millions. I don't want to say – I let it go the first time, Dave, but I cannot <laughs> – I well, because it because it's dozens of I don't think it's hundreds of millions. You know, it's I think it's billion people. They say. millions, tens of millions. Say tens of millions. Tens of millions. Billion people. Tens of millions. <laughs> All right, tens of millions. There you go. There you go. What did you guys think of the bus thing? I hated it. <laughs> I hated. I. I, it took me a while. Like at first, I hate it. Is like, oh, they're just bringing normal people to like gawk at the celebrity, <laughs> and then I was like, oh, is this like subversive? It's Jimmy Kimmel, so I, this is some sort of bit. I don't like. They, it was clearly wasn't a surprise for them. Like they were clearly prepared to walk into this uh, stage, but I don't know how much they knew or when they knew it. So it there, was it, very it, uncomfortable to watch for me. <laughs> and it, it, it took way too long for a very already bloated. Uh, yeah. And the bit just, it didn't, it wasn't funny. It wasn't fun. It was a bunch of people like, oh, you're giving them an amazing moment and then forcing them to get out of there as quickly as possible. I, I just found it to be cringeworthy. <laughs> I, agree I, with I, you. I wish, I wish there had been somebody who, who realized the power that they were handed in that moment and decided to say something to a billion people, <laughs> uh, or as Dave would say, dozens of millions. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know where you're getting the billion number. Like maybe it's broadcast to internationally. I think yeah, the yeah. ratings were like 38 million or something in the United States. So uh, maybe hundreds. Everybody of kept saying we got a billion people watching around the I'm world. I'm pretty sure that's an expression, Jeff. I'm pretty sure that's an idiomatic you know expression. You no, know it isn't an expression, Dave. What? <laughs> Dozens of millions. <laughs> I'm trying to make it happen, Jeff. I'm trying to make uh, it happen. Okay. Oh, man. Uh, I, so Kimmel did a good job overall. I liked him. Uh, did not like his constant like, oh, man, this person has a funny name. 
yeah. let's uh, let's make fun of this a little. It's a little yeah. irritating, uh, but I did like how you know th- this is a, mo- uh, a ceremony full of pomp and circumstance uh-huh. and self-importance, and I like how he tried to deflate that balloon as often as possible. Which sure. Is, in general, I think what we want from a the never-ending Matt Damon jokes were great. Uh, I think some people are very tired of them, uh, but uh, you know, I still I still enjoy seeing them mix it up. Uh, wanna you know? Let's let's give a shout out to a couple other things. Uh, Moonlight won for best adapted screenplay. Manchester by the Sea won for best original screenplay. I think those are both great choices for those. And it gives an award categories. to Barry Jenkins directly too, so that's nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Visual effects uh, went to the Jungle Book. I actually was rooting for Kubo, but the Jungle Book mm-hmm. also did some pretty remarkable stuff. Uh, Arrival. The only category it won in was best sound editing. Unfortunately, it was basically shout out of everything else. Um, so that was kind of a bummer. Uh, and yeah, Hacksaw Ridge, best film editing, kind of weird. Okay. Uh, I, I appreciated Justin Hurwitz winning for best original score for La La Land. That was a great soundtrack. Although, uh, if you're looking for other great movie soundtracks, check out the soundtrack for Moonlight. It is incredible. Mm-hmm. And uh, La La Land winning best cinematography and best directing. Um, cinematography in La La Land was great as well as uh, as the directing. So Silence, I think I should have won that category. But, yeah, you know. I, I think Silence would have been a great choice as well. But man, some of the camera moves they do in La La Land are uh, really awesome. So I, I appreciated that Linus Sangrin was recognized for that category. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's most of the awards I just listed right there. So no, that's pretty much it. Do we know why Hacksaw Ridge just like got like what what was the deal? Because the most – I still haven't seen it. I'll probably see it at some point. But yeah, most of the reviews were not like effusively praising that film. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Here's the thing. That the, here's the thing, Devendra. Uh, Hacksaw Ridge won for uh, Best Sound Mixing and Best Film uh-huh. Editing. Those are kind of technical awards. I know. I know. But it was nominated in many, many things. Yeah. yeah like it, it was nominated for Best Actor. Was nominated for Best Picture. Here's what I'm going to put out there. Here's what I'm going to put out there. Firstly, yeah. technically, Hacksaw Ridge is actually very impressive. So, okay. uh, so the fact that it won in those categories, I think, is actually I, I don't have a problem with it. I will also say that Hacksaw Ridge is the only movie uh, in, in the entire ceremony, as far as I can understand, that has a uh, religious focus to it. Like the main character is very like Bible believing Christian. And I do wonder, like, obviously Hollywood is very liberal, but maybe that appealed to some people. Maybe, like, some old-fashioned values appealed to some then people. Then we would have seen know. more love for Silence than Hacksaw Ridge. Uh, I think Silence is a lot more morally complex than Hacksaw Ridge. Hacksaw <laughs> Ridge is basically this guy believes in God, and he uses the Bible all the time, and then good things happen to him. You know, Silence is not like that at all. Total idle speculation. I agree. Yeah. It is very confusing. It, it's just like oh, we've we've totally forgiven Bill Gibson for everything now, so let's start giving him the awards. Uh, anyway, any other thoughts on the Oscars? I thought uh, I thought the Justin Timberlake thing was the best part of the night, and it all went downhill from there <laughs> personally. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I thought I thought I liked that way to open it up. Yeah, it was cool. It was nice. Um, and but- I also th- I also kind of liked the um, the. Uh, Picking a contemporary movie star and having them talk about one of their favorite movies and then yeah, find nice. the, you know, the star of that movie and pairing them together. That I think they did that in lieu of a stilted, awkward introduction for every single one of the Best Picture nominees, which is what they've mm-hmm. done in the past. Mm-hmm. Like they've, the, the, the show has ground to a halt as someone has introduced you – know, this you know, Hell or High Water is a movie about blah, 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 and then doing that eight times. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, it's just taken up a lot of time, and I think this is kind of instead of that, and, uh, and I really appreciated that. So. Mm-hmm. 
one the one thing I noticed, and I think we've seen this in previous years too, for some reason the clips they play for all the movies um are towards the end of the films. And that oh, seems I that. it's so bad. Like the fences one is definitely spoils a lot of what happens in that movie <laughs> for people. It just yeah. kept happening. It's like the, um, guys, uh, what are you doing? The the one for uh, Jeff Bridges is literally the end of yep. the movie. Yep. It's like the last scene of the movie. Yeah, same for fences. Yeah. The, uh. the only thing, the only clip that I really bothered me, yes, I agree the spoilers are bad, so they should not do that. But the only clip that felt really out of place was Lucas Hedges uh, when he was nominated for Best Supporting yeah. Actor for Manchester <laughs> by the talking Sea. talking about how he's going to bang some chicks. Yeah, talking about <laughs> like, But there's so many scenes of Lucas Hedges where he's actually doing really great acting work, like uh, the frozen chicken scene in Manchester by the Sea. You know, yeah, that's yeah. that's some great acting there, and for some reason they chose him getting to third base or something with some woman. <laughs> yeah. So bizarre. Just so whoever bizarre. picks those clips is drunk. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, another thing I want to say is the the whole feeding the audience during the show bits <laughs> need to die a very horrible death because they are never amusing. They take up a ton of time. Um, maybe it adds some more energy into the room, which is beneficial for the people in the room. But I suspect that might be the case, and and also to prevent people from getting up and leaving to go to the lobby and and get food or whatever. I think it's probably yeah. <laughs> probably a technical thing. Maybe oh, is that a, is that why it was happening? Like we're just suspect. speculating. We're speculating. Yeah, yeah because I, uh, otherwise, yeah. why would they do that? Because it's such a terrible segment. I right? just want them to keep upping the like reality abil- like the reality segments or the way they're treating the audience you know at some point like uh in a future oscars the lights just go down and somebody announces there's a live snake in the audience (laughs) watch out and then have samuel only one door is open what will you do motherfucking snakes out of my motherfucking academy awards presentation (laughs) um but yeah beyond the mix-up some good awards were handed some good movies and uh the speeches were okay the presentation was okay uh yeah amazon did pretty well oh yeah that's another thing amazon uh i think the first streaming studio uh to win an oscar right yeah it may be the first to win an oscar they were definitely the first to win best picture or sorry to be nominated for best picture bezos did not have good seats (laughs) yeah but he it was not bad he was he was not in the mezzanine at least (laughs) the fact Uh, that he was there at all like amazon's only been in this business for a couple years you know and They've been playing it really smart, and they paid what ten million just for distributing uh, Manchester by the Sea, and that like that seems like a small investment to get to the point where you know Amazon is a player in Hollywood yeah, at this point. Three yeah, three Oscar wins yesterday. That's yeah. uh, the world is changing around us, Devendra. Movie going yeah. is changing around us, so. and that's I'm just saying like as much as I love Netflix and what they're doing for original content. Clearly, Amazon is doing something maybe more right or something a little better (laughs) when it comes to this sort of recognition. Yeah. Um, Like, I think Netflix, did they get any Oscar nominations? Yeah, um, the White Helmets. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they got nominated for White Helmets and And, uh, the 13th. uh, And 13th and Extremists as well, the the short documentary. They got uh, nominated for that as well. So, yeah, they took took home some statues as well, um, but not in the major categories. They took home one statue. Right. Um, Well, and and, and got some nominees, but yeah, Yeah. not not in the major categories. So, um, who who knows what the real cause of that is? Part of it is might be just like Amazon's better at choosing the movies. Well, their their are movies be... are actually getting theatrical runs. Like that's that's pretty much the big difference we're mm. seeing at this point. You yeah. know, and they also distributed what The Handmaiden, a bunch of films, like a bunch of very good films. Um, 
whoever is doing that selection over there is just doing a good job. I guess. Agreed. Agreed. Amazon's really kicking ass. All right, guys. Uh, well, I think that's going to bring us to the end of our film news segment. Uh, before we get to our review of Get Out with Aisha Harris, wanted to uh, give a shout out to all the people who donated this week. Uh, to the Slash Filmcast. I already gave a shout out to people who donated a few weeks ago, but thanks so much to Seymour Butts. Uh, yes! <laughs> somebody did I, it! Seymour Butts. How did you do that? That That's... person must have a very hard life, right? <laughs> yes! Oh, finally, somebody made you do that. Uh, Christopher H. from Kelowna, Illinois, and Veronica from Poland, or Veronica from Poland. Thanks so much for your donations. Thanks to Christopher Harris and Charlotte Pash. For their contributions at the rate of two dollars per month, if you want to support the Slash Filmcast, go to slashfilm.com. Use the Slash Filmcast tab and the PayPal links on the side of the page to donate some money to us. All the money goes to defraying the cost of seeing movies and putting on the show for you. Seymour Butts. It's a classic. It's a classic. Oh, Seymour Butts. He didn't go with the Haywood Jablomi or the <laughs> Mike Hunt or anything like that. You know, went with the classic, tried and true Seymour Butts. Uh, under the Under the Bleachers by yep. Seymour Butts. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, that's going to bring us to the end of our film news segment and to our review of Get Out. You got your toothbrush? Check. Do you have your deodorant? Check. Do you have your cozy clothes? Got that. What? Do they know I'm black? Should they? You might want to, you know. Mom and Dad, my black boyfriend will be coming up this weekend. I just don't want you to be shocked, but he's a black man. <laughs> I ain't never seen you like this before, bro. Meet family and Taking road trips, don't come back all bougie, man. Come back, get your damn pants up to your damn stomach. <laughs> so you guys coming up from the city? Yeah, we're just heading up for the weekend. Can I see your license, please? He wasn't driving. I didn't ask who was driving. I asked to see his ID. Call me Dean and you're hungry, my man. So how long has this been going on, this, this thing? <laughs> We hired Georgina and Walter to help care for my parents. When they died, I couldn't bear to let them go. That was from the trailer of Get Out, the new film by writer-director Jordan Peele. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. A young African-American man visits his Caucasian girlfriend's mysterious family estate. It's a suitably vague plot summary for you. Uh, This film stars Daniel Kaluuya, Allison Williams, Catherine Keener, Bradley Whitford, Caleb Landry-Jones, Marcus Henderson, and Betty Gabriel. And joining us to help review it today, uh, she is Slate's culture writer and host of the Slate podcast, Represent. Aisha Harris, welcome to the Slash Filmcast. How are you doing today, Aisha? Hi, I'm great. Thanks for having me. Uh, Well, thanks for coming on. You wrote a review of Get Out uh, at Slate.com that I quite enjoyed. Uh, The subheading of that review is Jordan Peele's first feature film is an instant comedy horror classic about the hilarious nightmare that is existing while black. Uh, (laughs) And um, uh, we can't really talk too much about, you know, uh, what that subheadline really means uh, because we can't talk too much about this film without spoiling it. But before we get to spoilers, I thought I'd just ask you overall, uh, you know, you know, what did you like so much about this movie? I just think it took all of the sensibilities that Jordan Peele has displayed over five seasons of the show Key and Peele, um, the horror, the, the horror satire, the sharp, uh, astute uh, observances of race and the way, especially for black men, race uh, can be a matter of life or death. And I just thought that 
the way in which he was able to prolong that into a two hour long movie was just brilliant. And I thought it was really scary, but also funny and had everything I was hoping it would have. All right. Uh, very cool. I can't wait to dive into spoilers on this one with you. Uh, Jeff Kanata, your overall thoughts on Get Out. I, I couldn't agree with Aisha's one sentence review more. <laughs> I do think it's an instant classic. Uh, I think it is one of the most uh, uh, clever, subversive films I've seen in a long time. Uh, it has the best ending since Split, which, granted, wasn't very long time ago, but <laughs> before that, a long time, a long time before that movie. Um, and uh, the performances are fantastic. It's about something really real. I mean, it, horror and sci-fi and fantasy, these, these genre films often uh, are able to talk about things much more honestly than straight-up movies are. Bizarrely, because they can abstract it and, and use metaphor and really, <laughs> really uh, tackle an issue sideways from from the from the side, right? As opposed to like a period drama or something, right? It's it's like a much different take. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and you're you you tend to be having a lot of fun while also being you know thinking it, you you find yourself thinking about the themes uh because they're abstracted in a way that uh maybe a uh, on the nose type of approach wouldn't wouldn't allow for uh i mean this isn't super abstracted i mean it's still very much uh <laughs> on the nose but but because uh because we're inside the genre conventions i think it is able to be so much more subversive and so much uh more powerful in its in its messaging and um, I, I, I was delighted by it. As, as Aisha said, it is very funny. Uh, it is very smart. It is full of characters who are very smart, who are, who are doing smart things. And um, I, ju- I was tickled throughout and found myself applauding by the end. It, it is a- about something really real. I think every American should see this movie. It is, uh, it's an extraordinary piece of work. All right. Uh, Devinder Hardware, your overall thoughts on Get Out? Yeah. Um, I love movies that have layers, and this movie just has many, many layers. Um, it even visually shows off layers in very good ways. Uh, it's, it's funny. It's scary, re- you know, right when it needs to be. It's perfect satire. It's well acted, uh, incredibly well acted, and honestly, really well cast too. Uh, I'm a big fan of Daniel Kaluuya. Um, I know a lot of people know him from Skins, but he really struck me in that second episode of Black Mirror where he is just unforgettable. And he was also in Sicario. Also, Allison Williams, who I think is uh, perfectly cast as a certain type. And in this movie in particular, yes. Um, I think I tweeted, like, she strikes me as somebody who secretly voted for Trump. You know, so... <laughs> I, I yeah, and that that is perfect for what she needs to do in this uh, in this film, and uh, yeah, just really well done all around. Um, I know Jordan Peele's also doing a uh, he's doing a retrospective of social justice films here in Brooklyn at BAM, and it's funny like he's he's bringing up Night of the Living Dead and like Rosemary's Baby and things like that, and he ended up making something that I think will stand alongside all those classics. Very cool. Uh, and yeah, I, I want to agree with you guys about the performances in, in this movie. I thought uh, they were all fantastic. And in particular, there's a few actors 
here that I hadn't recalled seeing on screen before. Marcus mm-hmm. Henderson, who played Walter, and Betty Gabriel, who played Georgina, who are kind of the groundskeeper, uh, groundskeepers on um, Rose Armitage's family's house. Georgina. Uh, yeah, yeah uh, Georgina's on, on uh, the kind of maid in their house. Lucky Stanfield, who was great in Short Term 12 as well as Atlanta, is in this, and he does a, a solid job as well. And uh, Lil Ray, uh, Lil Rel Howery, um, I mm-hmm. thought was fantastic as uh, the main character's TSA uh, employed friend, uh, audience surrogate. Yeah, audience surrogate. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and all, so all these characters, like even the kind of side characters, I thought were uh, fantastic. I mean, this is a movie that you know, <laughs> like you said, Aisha. It's a. I was listening to Jordan Peele talk about. Uh, the experience of making Key and Peele. And if, if you've watched that show, and you should because it's amazing, uh, there are he, – he basically described it as making over 300 short films, um, which is very – you know it, that, that's my experience of it as well. Every mm-hmm. sketch uh, not only is like different characters and in a different setting, it also imitates a different style of film, like a different genre of film. There's comedy, there's drama, there's period drama. There's all kinds of uh, different genres in that, in that show. And uh, I feel like he ent- – this is his first film, but he enters you know, uh, filmmaking with uh, a lot of confidence. It, it feels like someone who's been making horror films for years, knows exactly what he's doing, uh, and also knows how to overlay this, these themes and allegories uh, onto the film in a way that's really effective. So, Hey, Dave, I've- can I tell you a funny story? Please. Um, I, I want to agree with you that that his direction is is spectacular. In fact, the movie opens with this wonderful floating camera shot. Yes, that um, my, my during my uh, my screening at my local Cineplex, uh, there was a fire alarm that went off uh, <laughs> right, literally right after that scene happened at the very beginning. And luckily, it was right at the very beginning of the movie. It was right as the credits begin, the opening credits start. Uh, and in their attempt to write everything and, and, and fix it all, we had to evacuate and then we came back in and they were trying to get – I saw that opening scene no fewer than five times because they kept <laughs> trying to reset the, the projection. So I, I had a real appreciation for that, uh, that opening wonderful floating camera yeah, shot. There really is like to- this amazing camera movement that swings around a character and slowly reveals to you what's going on in the situation. I, thought I am not exaggerating that I got to see it five times, David. <laughs> and uh, – uh, and three of them without sound, uh, so I really got to. It was like a little mini class that they uh, delivered for free for us. Uh, and um, anyway, I I got to look at different parts of the composition of that of that that sequence. And uh, anyway, there's many many shots in the movie that I really admired, but uh, that one I got to see uh, many times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, uh, so. Overall, it sounds like we all love the movie. You should go see it. And I think uh, right now, right near the top of our review, it's time to get into spoilers for Get Out starting at this moment. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, let's talk about this movie from just the opening scene, uh, which feels to me like an inversion 
<laughs> of uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess the whole entire movie is meant to turn horror movie tropes on their head. Horror movies are a genre that black people are traditionally underrepresented, and when they are represented. Uh, mm-hmm. They are typically uh, just fodder or, or they, they typically die well before the end of the film. This is a movie that opens with a black person walking in a white suburban neighborhood, um, but he is the one in danger, right? And so right from the top, I feel like uh, the movie is, is you know placing a stake in the ground and saying, like, this is not going to be uh, your <laughs> conventional horror film. Uh, Aisha, what did you think of that opening scene and, and what it meant for the rest of the film? Uh, it definitely hooked it, it got its hooks in me. And then like, I was reeled in. Um, I love Lakeith Stanfield, as you mentioned, he's really great in a lot of things. Um, and to see him walking in that suburb and the way in which it, it doesn't even just the fact that he's a black guy and he's the one in danger, the, you know, we've seen these sort of openings before. We've seen it in Jaws. We've seen it in uh, Halloween. Uh, it, where, like, you have the person who you're probably never going to see again for the rest of the movie because they're about to die. <laughs> and <laughs> they're, inter- they're introducing this character solely so they can die and so that the monster can sort of be uh, feared and we implant that fear into you. Um, and so... Typically when this happens, you know, the person who they might often be a, a woman, a nice pretty young girl or teenager, or it could be like a couple people having sex, young teenagers having sex, um, they won't even notice anything or they're totally oblivious or they're like too curious and they're like, what's that noise behind the garage? Like, I should go check that out. Um, and what I think is brilliant about this moment is that as soon as the white car starts slowly tracking up towards Lakeith Stanfield's character. Um, And he's like in this neighborhood. He doesn't know where he is. He's on his phone and he's like, where am I going? Like he's looking for directions. And as soon as the the car comes up, he's just like, nope, not today. And starts turning around. (laughs) (laughs) And he like straight up says like, you know how they do motherfuckers out here. Uh, Are we about to swear? I don't know. Yeah, that's totally fine. Okay. (laughs) Um, So, (laughs) you know, it's at, at once it's very funny, but then it's also like, if you pay any attention to the, what the news has been the last five years and actually just like yesterday, uh, it was the five year anniversary of Trayvon Martin's death that instantly had that, like reminded me of that moment of like a black, black guy, young black kid walking around in a suburban neighborhood and, you know, being attacked and not being safe there. So I just thought it was a great inversion of that. And like from there on, it just kept getting better and even scarier psychologically scarier and more realistic yeah it was crazy you know i was immediately on edge in that scene uh because because of the danger that might befall lakeith stanfield's character uh and certainly the way that it plays out very slowly very deliberately and uh with a lot of tension uh, i thought was really well done let's dive into some of the more spoilery details of the film right i mean explicitly this film this film deals with white people fetishizing uh wanting black people's bodies uh and literally wanting to take over and control their bodies uh and that's kind of what what the movie ends up being about is like Alison Williams character mm. luring these people into her family's home uh, in order to trick them into uh, getting hypnotized and then having their their brains uh, transplanted in a being John Malkovich esque uh, style <laughs> of procedure or whatever, 
it's very chilling, and obviously there are uh, a lot of there's a lot of relevance for this movie in terms of uh, the modern politics. Uh, I, I think I just want to highlight a few things. Like, let's start with a few moments in the movie that I thought were particularly well done, and I'd love to hear what you guys have to say about that too. Uh, but I thought the way the information was doled out overall was uh, pretty effective. Mm-hmm. We talked last week about A Cure for Wellness and how we thought that the information in that film was kind of like the way they did exposition was all over the place. And in this movie, I thought they they kept giving you enough information until at the end they give you the full exposition dump when he's watching the TV. And I really uh, appreciated that moment. I thought the, the moments with, for instance, like when you see like Keith Stanfield later on in the movie uh, and he's completely behaving differently, incredibly chilling, you know, and just <laughs> very creepy and raises a lot of questions. Did you guys figure out what was going on before uh, the, the scene with Stephen Root where he explains everything or were you kind of guessing until that moment? I think the movie gives you enough hints, right? That you could start to see that there's some sort of like Stepford Wivesy thing happening here, especially if you recognize. I'm not sure if everybody notices that. Oh, by the way, that is the guy from the beginning of the movie. Because um, I, even some reviews seem to have missed that, I think. Um, so it all starts to click together in a very good way. I think it kind of has an opposite, uh, it, it takes a different approach to style and exposition than uh, Cure for Wellness, because there are definitely some stylish parts of this movie, but it's more focused on being a very, like, taut thriller. Yeah, and I I feel like the main character has more agency in this movie than he did in in A Cure for Wellness. Oh, definitely. Um, I had figured out that there was some, perhaps, mind control thing going on, you know, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know that it was, like, literally we're implanting... White people's yeah. brains We're gonna in go white there. people's bodies. Yeah. Like, they really <laughs> yeah. went there. Anyway, there were so many really effective moments. Like, for instance, there's a scene between the character of Chris, played by Daniel Kaluuya, talking with Georgina, played by Betty Gabriel, uh, that I, it was my favorite scene in the whole movie when they're having this conversation and she's explaining how his phone got unplugged. And he's using... Uh, kind of slang to try to communicate with her. And she... It, it, like there's a part of her that wants to respond in the way that uh, Georgina would have responded, but she can't and just like kind of starts crying. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just felt like the perfect kind of conflict between uh, her inner self and this you know person that had taken over her. It's I an extraordinary so piece of acting too. Yeah. It, it all done in ex- extreme close up using a a, a lens yeah. that is right up on the actor. Very shallow no- depth of field. Yeah. No room for there's, she, it requires absolute stillness, and to see all those beats, you see the battle that's happening between the two psyches in her head. Uh, you see it play out across her face. It is absolutely extraordinary and completely enthralling. And, and then we cut back to his point to his face, and he's like, "That bitch is crazy." It's like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like. It, it is such a perfect undercut. This movie uses comedy to relieve tension in such beautiful ways. It establishes tension in beautiful ways. It uses comedy to relieve tension in beautiful ways. I also really loved the way the – and I think this definitely speaks to modern culture. Throughout, throughout the, the, the very first half of the movie, when before we know really what is so troubling, we kind of are just – slightly uncomfortable in the house with the Mm -hmm. parents and the reason we're uncomfortable and what the movie does so brilliantly is it puts me in a, a person's position that I've never been in in my life. Right. 
But I immediately understand why it's so uncomfortable when these people who are seem to be going out of their way to be not racist to this guy. <laughs> you know, like they are trying so hard to not be racist that they are being super racist. Yeah. You know? And it's a weird it, subconscious thing. It happens a lot. And I think this movie captures that quite well. Uh yeah. It's yeah. an extra I, I loved I loved that discomfort. And and it also is a brilliant tactic to conceal the the sinister nature of the characters because they come from the complete opposite side of the spectrum, right? They're trying so hard to put him at ease and yet they're completely unable to because at their baseline they are repugnant people, right? <laughs> it, 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 I, I just found all of that stuff to, to come from such a wonderful place of, of honesty and uh, it, it put me immediately in his his shoes. Well, mm-hmm. what's really troubling is that uh, Rose Armitage, the Alison Williams character, is theoretically the most woke character among all of the Armitages. But you realize later on, after you find out the ending, that all of that stuff, you know, all of her being woke, all of her being like very understanding of what Chris is going through, is just a trap. It is just a method of lulling him into a false sense of security before they finally, you know, spring the final trap on him and uh, and take over his body. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's a, you say that the central theme is the fetishization of of the black body and 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 black culture, really. But I also feel like there's there is something to be said of like the the scary white woman. You know, like the frightening mm-hmm. white woman thing is 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 that is in play here as well, and I don't know. It, it, yeah. it is it, it is touching on these taboos in such an interesting way and making you think about all these things in in the film. I'm, I, it's very impressive. Aisha, let me ask you a question. Yeah. You know, there's been a lot of uh, discussion about you know, what is the the villain or what is the true enemy in this movie and some people were saying i you know i saw online like some some of the conversation is centered around uh white liberal racism as being uh <laughs> the enemy in this movie because these you, you have these people who are these white liberals who are very well intentioned but in fact they are they are coming to enslave you like that is really what what right. is going on in this film so do you feel like white liberal racism is the enemy in this movie like do you think that's what the message of the movie is Um, I think that like with anything having to do with race, there are layers to this and white liberal racism is one of those layers. But I think also, as we were just talking about before, white womanhood is also one of those other layers. And white womanhood, I think, is maybe, I mean, if we had to rank them, I'd say in the way this movie plays out, white womanhood is like, the top one, the top threat for for black people. Um, I, I mean, just think about the fact that you know, Allison Williams' character Rose is the last of the the family members to die, um, and the way the movie sets up, like this is one of the things I think is so brilliant. Like throughout the throughout the movie, there's like little sprinkles of dialogue and moments that like set up Allison Williams' character as like exactly what you would think someone like her would think about herself. Like I'm a white woman, so everyone must want me. Um, you know, the fact that she's luring all these black men, like Googling, uh, NCAA players. Um, the fact that, uh, she kind of teases, uh, uh, his friend Rod played by Lil Rel about like how she knows he wants to fuck her. Um, and is just very open about it. 
all of those little details. She uses that as a weapon too. It's not yeah. just a tease, right? In that moment, she d- disarms his attack by right. using that against him. Yeah. Right. So we see we see her tease him about it at first and early on in the movie before we know all of her uh, motives when they're like driving upstate and like he's on the phone. Uh, but then, yeah, like you said, they they use it again. It comes back again. But this time she's using it as a weapon. And the funny part about it was that after the conversation, uh, when he hangs up, he's just like, God damn it. She knows like she knows that I want to have sex with her, um, <laughs> which I thought was just great. Uh, yeah. But. Yeah, just those little moments, like the idea that white womanhood is the pinnacle, is the the thing, the definition of beauty, the definition of everything that's pure, um, and the way it plays with that, um, I just think it's really, really just ingenious. I also, mm-hmm. the last moment um, when he's like strangling her, mm-hmm. um, I just, I was like, oh, this is, this reminded me of Othello. I have no idea if that was like supposed to remind me of Othello strangling Desdemona, but like, just seeing his hands, his very dark hands around her very white, lily white neck. I was just like, this looks very Shakespearean right now. It's an mm-hmm. utterly genius moment. I, I applauded, as did most of my theater, in that moment when the door opens and it's revealed to be the TSA instead of the I police know. officer. Because what the movie does so brilliantly is with that, you know, I admire so much when movies set things up but they don't feel like setups. They, they, they are essential in the moment, right. but are, are actually serving to set something up for later. So right when they get pulled over by the police officer early on in the movie, that's an extremely powerful moment in and of itself because we, we're establishing his relationship with white people and her relationship with police officers and the power st- struggle there. And then that incredibly sexy thing that she says where she says, nobody messes with my man. Um, it, it, the, all of that that scene works as a scene, but it's also this extraordinarily brilliant setup for the end where we see those sirens pull up. We see him on top of her and we know exactly what he has in store for him. We know that she is completely one, that there is no police officer who will ever believe what he is going to have to say to try to get himself out of this. She has completely defeated him. Not, why? Because of the structure that exists in our country, right? Mm -hmm. She played that structure against him. And then that door opens and it's TSA. It is so genius. And and I just erupted in applause because subverting that expectation in such a brilliant manner – it's, it's 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 like playing the audience as an orchestra. It, it, it's just magic. Well, a cu- couple of, of uh, things to mention about that particular scene. Firstly, uh, he tries to choke her, uh, but then stops. Right? Like yeah. he he decides he can't kill. Like, and it, to me, it feels like he has in some ways been defeated by her wiles. Right? Like she has she has no, won him over to the extent. That. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jeff. I didn't read it that way at all. Sorry to interrupt. Oh yeah, you. yeah no. What, what was your what was your read of that situation? And like when, I, he, when I, he stops I, choking her, I mean, I kept saying, "Don't do it! Don't do it! Don't do it!" In my head to to that character, right? You don't you don't you the, don't want him to have be overcome by his vengeful self. You mean I don't want him to kill her that way, right? Because that is the that's the nightmare scenario. That's the that's the thing you never get out of. And then you see the cop pull up, and you're like, "Of course, that's what the cop is gonna." You know, even though he didn't do it, that's you you can't have a strangle <laughs> be, you know, that's, you know, that's, and he's covered in blood and she's like on the ground crying for help. Like that is, it's a wonderful setup also because it's a terrifying setup. Like 
come on. Like, we, we know the state of the country right now, and you see that scene. I thought this movie would have gone completely bleak at the end. Like, I almost forgot oh. it was kind of a comedy at the end. Like, he ends <laughs> up being shot, and the camera pans away, and that is your statement. So the fact that it twists away from that is interesting, but I also know that he's definitely playing on that expectation, too, which is ingenious. It also felt like a very direct uh, correlation, or a, a direct... Um uh, sort of homage to Ni- uh, the Night of the Living Dead, which is yep. one of the films that he's also Jordan Beale has also very explicitly said he looked to uh, for inspiration. And the fact that at the end of Light- Night of the Living Dead, you know the the lead character Dwayne he does make it to the end of the movie until he doesn't, mm-hmm. <laughs> and the cops come and they shoot him. Uh, and so I'm just glad that. I actually like the fact that the ending was not that bleak. It easily mm-hmm. could have been that bleak um, because, you know, he's, we still have to make a movie like this in 2017. But, yeah, I just thought that was a great, like, the comedic setup of that with the TSA was just, like, a great way to subvert yet another trip. Perhaps the only time the TSA has ever been useful in cinema. <laughs> like, yeah, perhaps the only time people have actually been excited to see a TSA agent. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I saw a Q&A that uh, Jordan Peele did, and he, he had mentioned how he wanted this to be one of those movies where when the police arrive, it actually creates more tension instead of relief. Uh, mm-hmm. And that was certainly one of those moments. Uh, Aisha, what was your take on, on that part when he stopped choking her, though? What, what did you think of that moment? Uh, so I actually don't – I can't remember – what the sequence of events was. Um, I can't remember if the cops, like you could see the flashing lights already when he stopped choking her. Um, all I know is that when he stopped choking her, I was like, no, don't stop. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> because I was like, if you, if you like granted, obviously, you know, if you looking ahead, obvi- like you don't mm-hmm. want that to be where you might get caught. So like some random person, because you were a black man and this is a white woman and, you know, it's over. But in that moment, I was like, dude, I've seen lots of horror movies. If you don't kill her now, she's going to kill you. Like, do yeah. it. So, yeah, yeah that, that was my reaction. I was like, why, why didn't he kill her? I'm pretty sure he stopped before the cops came. Like, I yeah, remember I, that. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the case as well. And she <laughs> smiles in a yeah, weird way. It's a it's great moment. Like- it's a great moment because she realizes, like, she's won some kind of victory that he has not strangled her, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Jeff, what were you going to say? I, again, I think we're all sort of remembering it, it slightly differently. But my, my recollection, and I, I could be wrong here, is that he's strangling her. She kind of smiles at him, and he stops. Yeah, like like that's what she wanted. She she's like, yeah, do it. It's almost a give in to your hate, give in to your anger huh. kind of thing. Yeah. And and then he says, no, I'm better than that. That's how yeah. I read it. And maybe mm-hmm. I'm just you know I'm projecting my own wants for that character on it. But um, yeah, I, I read it as he's strangling her. He stops and then she smiles knowing that she has like, uh, you know, that, that on some level she convinced, him. yeah, she convinced him of her goodness to the mm-hmm. extent that uh, he would not kill her. Yeah. So um, another, another kind of victory for her at, at that moment. Her, um, her character gets some of the best moments in the film too. Like that moment with the uh, – when the cop comes to help them earlier on and she defends, um, you know, Daniel Kaluuya's character – at first, it seems kind of noble, and then eventually, my wife pointed this out. This also, it was a way for her to protect um, his identity, so that yeah. they wouldn't know that he was up there. And I, I like that the movie didn't explicitly say that, but if you go back and rewatch it, you'll notice that you know there's a little something else to that scene. You thought it was noble at first. I never thought that. <laughs> mm. I don't know. Like I, don't... I think noble in her mind, or noble in 
the way uh, maybe okay. like a white woman would think in that way, you know, to defend her man. But we knew something was up with her character from the beginning, right? Because the movie starts with him being annoyed at her that she didn't tell her parents that he's black. And it's like, how how do you do that? How like there's no way I think that you can even excuse that in a relationship. Um, but he's like, he's just kind of rolling with it. And I think that I, the fact that the movie even starts there knows it you know, makes you know that something's up. Well, it doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense, right? What was the purpose of her saying that? Why doesn't she just mm-hmm. say, yeah, I told them that you're black. Oh, Cause well, obviously maybe she, yeah, she's trying to say like, Hey, that's how cool everyone is with the sure. idea that you're black. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I, I can see some function for that. But Aisha, uh, what was your reaction to that opening scene when she tries to get the cop to, uh, get off their back? Oh, it just felt so very self-serving on her part and uh you know the way in which people like to tout being quote-unquote allies of (laughs) people of color lgbt it's like oh look at me i i'm down like i know i know how this goes and i'm gonna demand and also just the fact that like to some extent when you're an ally in that sense you also know that you hold a power that the person you are being an ally to doesn't have so the way in which she reveled in that moment like the quote about her like no one's gonna mess with my man like i don't know and the fact that he was like no chill we don't need to be doing this and he she completely ignored him she basically ignored all of his concerns throughout the entire film (laughs) and for whatever reason he was just like "Uh, it's okay and they've only been dating for like five months yeah, like I thought it's that been a was while. crazy. Yeah, <laughs> like I mean, if not... if they've been dating for like three years, maybe uh, yeah. it, it would be more understandable. But if you're if you're that early on in a relationship, you don't want to be directly kind of contravening what your significant other wants. Is right? That, is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah. It just seemed too soon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, too soon to be that kind of forward with that kind of thing. Yeah. So I, I was watching uh, an interview with Jordan Peele talk about like th- this movie as being. A uh, a response to uh, the Obama era in some way that like he he said quote we are living in this post racial lie right uh, mm-hmm. the idea that hey um, because Obama was president because we have all these white liberal people who say I would have voted for Obama for a third term <laughs> that uh, racism to some degree doesn't exist or doesn't need to be talked about as much anymore um, but in fact we now know it's alive and well. I thought what was great about this movie is it was obviously made, it was being shot, was written way before Trump was elected president. And now that uh, Trump is president, like it takes on a whole kind of different meaning, right? That, mm-hmm. um, that race now is at the forefront of uh, our politics in this country and that like we read about it in the news every day about Muslims being banned from entering the United States from different countries and so on and so forth. Um, and I guess... I'm I'm just curious, you know, what, like Aisha, what 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 is your kind of takeaway from a movie like this? You know, like is the is the theme just that like one should be consistent, like one should continue to be suspicious of allies? You know, that like allies may have differing intent, like uh, insidious intentions that that those and like that's worth monitoring and and keeping in mind. Uh, what do you? What is your kind of takeaway over like on a bigger picture level from this movie? Um, I mean, I think it's meant, uh, and I mean, I'm going to sort of maybe put words into Jordan Peele's mouth that he hasn't necessarily said, but the way I read it is that this is a movie meant for black people to um, enjoy and 
laugh about and cry about and be upset about. Um, while for white people, it's meant to expose their, you know, liberal white, their white liberal racism. Um, and I think the, the way in which people, white people and black people read it will be very different. Like my audience was, is a, it was a mixture. I went to a pre-screening and my audience was a mixture of some critics, but then lots of just, um, you know, patrons of the the movie theater and they were mostly black and the way in which there was just the knowing uh ad libs from the audience members as each thing happened especially at the party where it was just like insult after insult after insult couched in you know uh liberal um liberal understanding uh the the touching of his biceps by that old woman and who asked uh rose about whether or not sex is better with black men or not, um, all that stuff. I think every black person could relate in some way the feeling of being an outsider amongst, especially amongst wealthy or upper class white people and older white people. Um, so I think it's it plays into both of those uh, notions. And in 2017, I do think it's more relevant than ever um, considering the way the election turned out. Uh, so... Yeah, that's that's mm-hmm. my takeaway from the film. Jeff Kanata, how about you? Like, uh, as the only white man here, you know, what was what was your take? <laughs> take Tough away being from, a minority, fellas. Yeah. <laughs> what, was, what was your takeaway from from Get Out? You know, like, did, did you did it make you did it recontextualize your own actions? Did it make you look at your own uh, behavior with minorities in a different way? I suppose. I mean, I don't know if I'd use that phrasing. Um, I, I it certainly gave me insight into an experience that I don't have firsthand knowledge of, right? And I and I, I love the power of narrative to do that. I think this movie puts you inside his experience in a really, really powerful way. Um, and I, you know, I, I found it to be uh, illuminating on a number of levels on on just how how casual the um, how casual the offense can be right how right. how easy mm-hmm. it is to just be uh, completely uh, tone deaf to um, the experience of a of a whole group of people um, but also you know I love the sort of overt nature of everything too and when it, as it progresses and becomes much more sinister like there's there's a, an agency that he employs that that is that is stirring and um, and uh, inspiring as well, right? I mean, this is a guy who gets himself out of a situation. There, there's, I mean, I guess you could say the very very end is a Deus Ex Machina, but not really. I mean, he, I, I thought it was poetic and beautiful the way Cotton was his salvation. I think mm-hmm. that 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 was not incidental that. Uh, uh, you know, he, he sees that cotton and, and uses it. Um, but he, you know, he is his own instrument of, of salvation. He gets himself out of there. And, uh, I thought that was pretty powerful too. I also loved how he doesn't fuck around at the end, you know, <laughs> like there, many of these types of movies, there's going to be some sort of confrontation. Why are you doing this? What, you know, the, a, a exposition request or tell yeah. me your, he, he just starts plan. killing people. Left he and right. just wants to get the fuck out and, and <laughs> kill the them. movie guys. Like, yeah. yeah. 
They, like at the end when when uh, Bradley Whitford comes out and he just impales him with <laughs> with the <that laughs> horns, it's just so great, man. He's just like, "Fuck so this, good. I'm out of here." Speaking uh, of Bradley Whitford, do you have to say this guy just needs to be in every horror comedy, right? Like between <laughs> this great. and Cabin in the Woods, like he just like really his his just like his tone, his like sarcastic sensibility, his voice. I don't know, like it it just all clicks for me. Um. To to what we we're talking about, Daniel Kaluuya, though, like I think it was the quieter moments I really enjoyed too. Like the way he had this understanding, you know, of how to deal with uh, this girl and her family. I think the scariest part of this movie is that party because I, I've been to that party um, and things get uncomfortable real quick, and people are like, "Where are you from?" And you're like, "They're like, no, where are you really from?" Mm-hmm. Um, you know, simple comments that can be misread in different ways. I love that he knew how to let certain things roll. Like, he didn't want to escalate the things with the cop because he knew it could get a lot worse uh, than it had to. And then he had his limit. You know, when the woman was started actually feeling him, he was like, nope, um, I'm just going to take a break. So I think... Um, the movie just presents us, uh, it, it shows us how he exists and how he survives in this world uh, in a really right. what, fascinating What indignities way. he's willing to absorb exactly. in order to you know, live his life. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And that reminds me a lot of Hidden Figures as well, like another movie that was all about the indignities that black women faced and you know, people working against a white majority and kind of everything they have to deal with. Uh, I, uh, yeah, it's tough, but I, it's kind of fascinating. We're seeing all these movies now. Uh, I want to say one other thing about the plot, and then I, I have kind of a broader question that's uh, somewhat unrelated to the film, but also kind of related. You'll see what I'm talking about. But one thing I wanted to highlight in the plot is, uh, firstly, actually, love the hypnotism effect, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole idea yeah. of falling into, you know, the what is it called? Like the, the sunken place. place. The sunken place, right? And how that's done in the movie, I thought was really uh, nice. And actually, it looks amazing. It looks amazing. It's it's yeah. very yeah. similar to. It reminded me of like being John Malkovich. It reminded me of like Under the Skin. You know, mm-hmm. uh, those times when you're this is kind of out of body experiences happening. Uh, I thought it was great, and um, and I also like how they fairly organically set up uh, the moment at the end when he goes back for Georgina. Because yep. he had already explained in the movie that you know, he had this terrible incident with his mother where she died and he didn't go help her. And, uh, and you know, that explains why he goes back for her and it's a great moment. Now, speaking of that moment, that leads to kind of my last question is, um, like, I saw this movie in a fairly participatory theater i would say <laughs> right and uh and you know jeff canada last week on the podcast you invade against you know the uh the dangers <laughs> of watching a movie where like everyone is being very like loud and rude and disrespectful however i think uh a movie like this it's actually like incredibly enjoyable when uh people are interacting with what's happening on screen and uh, I feel like the title of the movie is a reference to that uh, is kind of like a meta reference to shouting at you know the protagonist on screen telling them it's to funny. to uh, to do something that you know to get out of this situation this horrible situation that they're in and that Perhaps. moment when um, what's his I name? took it as a I took it as a, a reference to that old uh, Eddie Murphy stand-up routine you guys know what I'm talking about. I think it's in Delirious or Raw where he talks about uh, the, the horror movies uh, 
He's like, if it was a black, it was a black family and they walk in and they're like, they walk in and they hear a voice, get out. Oh, too bad we can't stay. You know, it's like that. <laughs> you don't remember that? Mm, am I the no, only one no. old enough to remember yep, Delirious yep. and Raw? I'm not, no? I'm not super okay. familiar, but I, I did think that it was kind of this meta commentary. And there was also, you know, that moment at the end with uh, Rod, the TSA agent, who's, who's like, you know, like, I told you not to go into the house, uh, that I thought was very much like an audience surrogate, very much like something mm-hmm. that a participatory audience <laughs> would say to the characters on screen. Uh, Aisha, I was wondering if you had a take on what the title meant or the significance of the title in any way, or is it just kind of something that a character says in the movie? No, I think you're spot on. Um, I think the character of Rod especially is obviously supposed to be our our surrogate, our Greek chorus. They, he reflects the, especially black people, when you, you go to see a horror movie, you will say those things like, get out, what are you doing? Don't be so dumb. Uh, <laughs> that bitch is crazy, like Chris says. Like, all of those things, the movie wants like it primes you for the, the those experiences and i think if you don't go to see this movie i mean not everyone can do it but like if you're in new york i suggest you go to 125th the the magic johnson theater <laughs> to go go see that this movie if you don't see it with like a very um loud and boisterous crowd i don't know if the experience will be well <laughs> that, that's a lie i think the experience will still be amazing and great but like it adds that little extra cherry on top that i don't think uh i don't think would be worth missing so yeah <laughs> i definitely I'd, think I'd, it's primed i'd also recommend the court street theater because that one is always loud and, yeah. and it's a lot of fun um, even just like I saw Magic Mike there, that was a very loud participatory <laughs> audience of middle-aged yeah, women shouting at the screen. Exactly. Like, you know, I kind of like that. Um, I saw this movie at the Alamo Draft House, and that is the theater, you know, where they have very strict <laughs> rules about being quiet, but people were still like shouting out and like, ex- like exclaiming against the movie. And I kind of like that because I, you know, cinema is great. Uh, it shouldn't be a church. It should be a way for us to like reflect and emote and a movie like this, you can't stop but. uh, you can't help but shout about what's happening. Uh, one thing I want to say before we end, uh, I love that this movie ends in a way that n- nothing is fixed, right? Because this, there are a bunch of dead white people. They can't <laughs> go back to New York and explain like, okay, there's a cult and they're stealing brains and they're putting their brains in black people. Like that's unexplainable. So I think the, uh, the stage is set for a really interesting sequel where he's just trying to explain to people that this is going on and probably nobody believes him. Actually, you know, it's, it's like, called yeah. Get Back In. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, Devinger, that actually raises a really good point of the film, which is there is that scene with uh, Rod, the TSA agent, going mm-hmm. to police and trying to explain what's going on. Yep. And uh, it, it felt to me uh, as a, a commentary on what happens when minorities try to explain instances of racism to other people like there is uh a sense that uh there's oh there's always a sense you know and and let me just say like to be 100 percent clear uh it is not my intention to compare the asian american experience to the african-american experience or anything like that um i am not a white person so i have like some experience of being a quote-unquote minority but you know what i mean like uh yeah. I, I i don't think my experience is comparable to uh, the experience that Jordan Peele is trying to communicate in this film. But what I will say is that there, it did seem to me a com- this, that scene and uh, other scenes like it in this film were a commentary on uh, the idea of how one may come off when trying mm-hmm. to communicate 
the uh, supposed racism one is experiencing, right? Mm -hmm. That you can sound like you're insane. You can sound like you are taking uh, tiny, you know, microaggressions or whatever and making them into a huge deal when, uh, and and then to other people, it might sound like complete madness. Um, And I did think that was like a very nice subversive element of the film. Uh, Aisha, sounds like you agree. Yeah, no, I had the exact same reaction to that scene. And just like the entire movie as a whole, uh, I think like when you think about Chris's character and the way in which he like he it takes him a little while to like finally realize like he's in a really bad situation. And, you know, Rod is the whole time like, no, like you need to listen like we we have not evolved that much (laughs) Um, that you don't go up to that white woman's family's house up in the woods where you know no one um and it it just shows the very real like even in 2017 you still need to have your guard up you still need to be aware you still need to like i mean we haven't talked about the music but just like so much of the music is so great and the Mm -hmm. the use of the donald glover or childish gambino song um during the credits um which is called redbone but it features the words uh the lyrics stay woke like just the way in which it says, like, you need to stay alert and don't get too complacent because white liberal racism is here and here to stay, possibly. Uh, so, yeah, I completely agree. Uh, also, in your review at Slate.com, you pointed out the use of uh, Run, Rabbit, Run, I think. Is that the opening Yeah, the song? novelty. Yeah, that, that's the song that plays just as Lakeith Stanfield's character uh, gets taken away and it attacked and then taken away in the car, uh, which was also just a great musical cue as well. Great. Yeah. Great choice. And, uh, I love how kind of old school music like that sounds really creepy, uh, given yeah. the, con- like if it's recontextualized, it can sound incredibly creepy. Uh, before I wrap up, I, I do want to point out guys. Yeah. To your point about the ending Devendra, it does feel like there are some, uh, significant flaws, to these people's plans, would, right? Like, to, yeah, to the Armitage's yeah. plans, like, uh, I, I guess part of the movie is commenting on the, like, they don't explicitly say it, but part of the movie is commenting on the idea that you can just disappear black people with no repercussions whatsoever, sure. right? Yeah. Uh, and so, okay, fine. If that's what the or, movie is or trying to say. Or the people actually being there, too. Like, that was maybe, a, because the people are still there. Right. And they could still point to, hey, this person is still here. They're not missing. Um, <laughs> they just, you yeah. know, completely changed their entire personality and yeah, lifestyle. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, uh, it, it, does... it really speaks to like the set of uh, the idea of privilege, right? That you could allow something like this to be going for so long. I didn't. Yeah, I, I could see it being believable as a statement on that sort of privilege. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, I will say, you know, maybe not a good idea to uh, leave photographic documentary evidence of all your previous conquests, you know, in easy, in easy access to anyone who's staying in your room is what every I mean. murderer has their like kill box, right? <laughs> uh, Can we talk uh, about the fact that she basically had sex with her grandpa's body? <laughs> well, you know, this was before this, this is before. Yeah, before it was grandpa, but now every time she yeah. looks at grandpa, she had totally had sex with him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what? that's. I mean, I think that's the least screwed up thing happening in this movie. But uh, I don't know what's going on with the grandpa and grandma, just because they're definitely like they're not in a good place in that household. They're still like subservient. 
So they're not like enjoying their old age or their, you know, nice new bodies or anything there. One's a maid and one's like a groundskeeper. That that one bit, like I figured that would be the grandparents. Um, it just didn't fit into like how they were being treated. I did. I did like how Georgina like roared to life in the car at the end. Yeah, uh, for yeah. that brief, she's you know for about thirty seconds, she was monstrous. Devendra, uh, my take on that is that they are only they only act as servant roles when someone from the outside is there, mm-hmm. and mm. the rest of the time they're grandma and grandpa who live at the house and hanging out. Yeah, but when you know when they have a new potential body snatch hanging out, uh, <laughs> they uh, they pretend to be the help. Yeah, that yeah. makes so yeah. much sense. I mm-hmm. had the same question. Yeah. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. good point, Jeff. Uh, all right. Well, anyway, it's it's a it's a movie that we all really enjoy. There's a lot of layers to dig through. I think we've started to do so in this episode of the podcast. Uh, any closing thoughts uh, on the movie, Aisha? Any other thoughts you want to share before we wrap up for today? Uh, just go see it and try to go see it with as big of a crowd as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would agree with that. I think it's definitely worth your time. Uh, and the movie made $30 million at the box office this weekend, uh, and it's a Blumhouse production. I assume that means it cost between Four. 5 and $10 million. Yeah. So, I think it cost like $4 million. Yeah. Or it was wow. very, very low budget. Split and, uh, and Get Out were both Blumhouse uh, productions, and the total production budget of those movies was like – uh, fifteen twenty million dollars together uh, yeah. to get combined. Yeah, uh, those movies will make almost uh, five hundred million dollars worldwide. So yeah. Blumhouse Productions is really on a tear, and it turns mm-hmm. out when you give directors uh, artistic freedom to make the films they want, sometimes those movies can be good. Imagine uh, that. Now, now, if they can do that and not have it have to be horror movies, yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, we'll see. No, this is like they've, a they've made other, yeah, they've made other movies, yeah. but horror movies, I think, are the most lucrative, right? Yeah. Uh, but I well, mean, there's we, certainly the kinds of movies you can make for a small budget and have a big return. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Other types of movies are harder to do that with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless it's The Purge. And you could you theoretically call The Purge a horror movie as well. Oh, most definitely. Yeah. Uh, and now, now that we're in like Oscar frame of mind, I also can't wait to see like what we're going to be talking about this movie uh, come next year's Oscars. Let's hope so. All right. Uh, well, you can find more episodes of the Slash Filmcast at SlashFilmcast.com. Email us at SlashFilmcast at gmail.com. Our music comes courtesy of AdamWarrock.com. Our Slash Film Court theme is from SimonMHarris.com. And Kyle Hillinger made our uh, Slash Filmcast spoiler bumper. Uh, before we tell you what we're going to be reviewing next week, Aisha Harris, why don't you tell us where we can find more of your work on the internet this week? Sure. Um, you can find me on Slate.com, and I've been covering Get Out and also the Oscars. And I can also be found on Twitter at Crafting My Style. And uh, actually, on my podcast, Represent, we'll also be talking about Get Out, and that episode comes out this Friday. Very cool. Uh, check that out. Uh, how about you, Devendra Hardware? Oh, I'm at DaVinci on Twitter, and I write about tech and gadget. How about you, Jeff Kanata? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Kanata. And uh, I have two other shows, including We Have Concerns, which is a comedy science show. You can find it at wehaveconcerns.com. And uh, DLC, which is a video game show that you can find at 5x5.tv slash DLC. Also, uh, I'll be hosting uh, live streams on Amazon uh, from from GDC, the Game Developers Conference, all week. Nice. Uh, find out how you can watch those by uh, following me on Twitter at Jeff Kanata. I look forward to tuning in. Find all my stuff at DaveChen.net, which is my blog. I also have a Facebook page for my blog that auto posts 
a lot of my posts for my blog. It's at facebook.com slash davechen.net. Next week, we'll be reviewing Logan, uh, the final time, question mark, that Hugh Jackman is playing the character of Wolverine. Uh, I am so looking forward to talking about this movie with you guys. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is a movie that I recently listed as my favorite superhero film of all time uh, at slashfilm.com. So... Uh, comic book movie of all time you mean comic book movie that's what I mean yeah so uh, I'm looking forward to that chat guys so hope you guys will listen uh, to next week's episode of the Slash Filmcast and we'll see you later on the official podcast of SlashFilm.com Yes, it's me, Jamie Lang from Made in Chelsea, and you have stumbled across the Made in Chelsea podcast. Now, I know I'm a pretty charming guy, all right? And people come up to me and go, hey, Jamie, (laughs) how do you do it? And I tell them, be enthusiastic about meeting people. And most importantly, always be ready to smile. So make sure yours are looking the best with Sensodyne. It's designed to help care for sensitive teeth. The MIC Drop is proudly sponsored by Sensodyne, here for the hashtag sensitive moments on Made in Chelsea. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Superlight Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com.